Oh, it's okay. Um, it's good to get out of the way now. I informed her that we're having a change to trivia today. It's not going to be for the listeners. It's going to be for the guests and Donnell. Donnell? He goes by Donnell. I <laughs> love it. So, so you guys better uh, don't get too drunk. I don't, we have to come up with a prize. I don't have a prize. Let's, let's try and let's think about the prize or a punishment. Whoever oh. loses. <laughs> oh, that is extreme. In, in, we'll win this. <laughs> we'll win this trivia. <laughs> All right, how about, how about that's the prize? Whoever wins <laughs> no. gets to pick the show they want to go to. Yeah. Swim. Great American Yeah, yeah. yeah but can we great. all go? And just one of us has to pick, so the punishment is we have to go to the other person's show that they picked? No, that wouldn't really be a, a prize for the winner. Yeah, but we, like, we, we all take these we, we all love each other. Yeah. Where's the competition? <laughs> no, we I mean we we take each other to shows all the time. We do. It's true. Yeah. We're show buddies. Pro fans, we roll deep in a crew. <laughs> If nothing else. Well, we'll, we'll perfect this, this okay. prize or punishment as the show goes on, okay. I guess. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Between You, Me, and Jose, the Slims Presents podcast. We're back again this week. We've got Don L in the house. Hello. What's up? <laughs> I'm Chris. I'm here with uh, two of our three guests today. Um, Katie. Hi. Over here. What's up? And uh, Marisa yes. in hey. the middle. What's up? And then this seat right here next to Marisa will be Greg once he shows up. <laughs> it sounds like he's getting a potential stern talking to from somebody. Never. <laughs> we like to uh, we like to always have the rule that whoever is the latest to one of our meetings is the one that has to buy the drinks. We right. haven't really been yeah. holding oh. anyone up to that, but Greg's got around. On this one. Yeah, he does have a round. And we've been getting better, too, I yeah. think. It's so usually true. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you guys talk a little bit about um, professional fans. That's uh, the moniker that you guys are operating under. Yes, it is. Um, what is professional fans? You guys are, are all come from different places. You work different jobs, but you come together under this banner to... You want to take uh, it away, Katie? Yeah, so professional fans, um, it's sort of, uh, we throw shows. So we find artists that we love, both local and from around the country, um, and we put together shows for them to showcase, you know, people who we think are underappreciated in music or people who are on the rise. Um, but that's our way of getting involved. Yeah. A great way to sum it up. And then we do other things in the community too. I mean, we took that. So I, Greg and Katie had already sort of formed and I'm the last professional fan to enter the scene, if you will. But, um, we've taken that and we've tried to branch out. We have a radio show on Monday nights on BFF.FM. We threw the first annual Bay Area record label fair with Jesse Frick, uh, who runs Father Daughter Records. So it's just about looking at San Francisco and Bay Area music scene and figuring out places where we can get involved outside of especially what Greg and Katie are doing since they're already involved in the music scene in their day-to-day lives, but having yeah. more of an impact on the way that we see music and what we hope to be seeing in the scene that may not be there already. Yeah, like having an active involvement and, um, you know, 
making sure that we, yeah, we are what we want to see. Yeah. And I mean, I think that the other great thing about professional fans and a lot of things that are happening, like we've teamed up with Hello Cheeto before, which are two of our friends that are starting this other side business about, uh, I think primarily focused around like women in the San Francisco community and then kind of, uh, nationally, uh, providing them with like fun items and information looking at, you know, other entrepreneurs in the city in ways that music can intersect with that. Um, and so like they had a launch party and they wanted someone to DJ and to help bring in bands. And so we were working with them on that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's fun. It's a fun way to get involved. So the, the Bay Area Record Fair, that happened at the Parkside? Yes, it was in February, February 15th. Mm -hmm. And we had 24 labels, I believe. 24 labels. Four bands. Four bands and a few vendors. So we basically reached out to a bunch of Bay Area Record labels. Um, and we got response from some that we didn't even think of initially. Yeah. And there and as we were setting up, a bunch of people were like, "So is this person going to be here?" And I was like, "Oh shoot!" Like <laughs> I didn't have to do this well in terms of researching it. But today I was talking about permits, so it might happen again in the coming months. We're hoping to do it again, hopefully in the fall. Um, and we had such great success with the last one in terms of attendance and everything else, of course. Um, that we want to expand it if possible. Um into the alleyway next to the park sites. So that way we can make room for more labels to showcase their wares, uh, more vendors, and also encourage people to stick around a little longer. Yeah, Wisconsin Street, we're coming for you. <laughs> Shutting you down. <laughs> taking so, over. So uh, how can people get in touch with you if they're interested in taking part? Email us. Yeah. Or find us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash professional fans. Like us. Look at that. <laughs> Promo. Promotion. Yeah. We like to promote ourselves. That's but why we're, we're a promotion company, guys. It's true. We're always looking to get in touch with more great local music. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. We're always open to hearing new things. Do people like submit music to you and say like, hey, they you guys do. Shows. Put I, us on a show. Yeah. They it's do. been kind of weird. Once in a while, we get something really <laughs> cool. Uh, we found some good bands that way. Mm -hmm. But we have had people who have like pressured us to listen to their music. And pressured when someone's, how? when someone approaches you with their CD and corners you and starts a conversation for 10 to 15 minutes. Yeah. That happened at, uh, at the Bay Area record label fair. Someone was there yeah. like handing out CDs. I don't remember who it is. So I won't even like bad mouth them even though I wish I could. And they were like putting their stickers on our flyers and like really, it was really yeah. some gr a guerrilla promotion right there. Mm. Out, in, out in the something streets. something to be said for, you know, for enthusiasm. Yeah. But you can definitely overdo it. Yes, you can. I think the moral and then we of get the story cranky. Is, don't be a dick. That, yeah. I think that's a good takeaway. Don't be a dick. Right. If you're at a dinner party and you're meeting your significant other's parents, you only brag about yourself so much before yeah. you become a dick. <laughs> It's the universal like the don't be a dick rule. I feel like the threshold is bigger in that before? situation. Like that's, that's, that's when you have more time for that at a at a dinner party with your significant other's parents than you do when you meet yeah. me on the street. So you all know. But yeah, that said, we word. are open. Send us your um, send us your interest. Yeah. Good music only. Right? Good music only. Good music. <laughs> yeah, no shitty stuff, guys. No, no shitty stuff. Keep that for your mom. <laughs> or not. <laughs> So how did you guys uh, get started uh, wanting to be involved in the music industry? I know that, Katie, you work for Different Fur. 
Yeah, I run different fur. Um, my history goes back quite a bit farther. Um, so I was interning at a company in San Francisco that does like sort of like travel location services and we were covering outside lands festival and um my supervisor approached me and they're like hey do you want to write about this you know you've been writing about all this other stuff and so i got wrapped into writing about music and i got into music journalism i was writing for sf station and that's how i met gregory we both went to sf state but we ended up meeting outside of sf state uh, while we were both still in school and we started professional fans originally as a media outlet a media collective we wanted to be kind of like yours truly and find bands to interview and do fun little shoots with um, that didn't really take off in a way that was satisfying us so we rerouted i continued to do music journalism i wrote for the examiner i continued to write for the bay bridged um, and professional fans just took a different route so my music Genesis story is uh, kind of convoluted in a way. Um, I, I, yeah, so I think I've always really been interested in music. I can remember, this sounds so ridiculous. So I can remember like being, you know, seven years old and really wanting to work for MTV and like consuming a lot of music all the time, watching music videos, really trying to immerse myself, making my parents take me to shows starting at like nine or 10. And then when I was 13, really like, trying to get involved in the scene on my own. I grew up in San Francisco. So I was going to the Fillmore. I was going to Gilman. I was like really, you know, from really tiny venues to house shows, garage shows, all the way to like these bigger venues. But I wasn't a musician. I didn't really know how to get involved other than just showing up and participating. And when I went to college, I started writing about music. And I thought that that would be my entry point. I was going to be a music journalist. This was going to be great. I wrote for the paper. I uh, was part of a blog that I started with some friends. I went to Cornell. And they went to Ithaca College. It was called Skipster. So we brought beach fossils up to Ithaca. We brought Marissa Nadler. We like had this collective. We were really trying to – it was kind of like professional fans. We were trying to build a scene. But – we all graduated and we couldn't build the scene anymore. And I came home and I was really dejected and I felt like, okay, that's it. Like I can't get a music journalism job here. I got to move to New York or something like this isn't going to work. And, um, I started a job that wasn't about music at all. And I decided I'd start managing my friend's band to just get involved. I felt so disconnected from what was going on in San Francisco. I'd been here for about two years, and there was, like, really nothing going for me. I'd go to shows alone. I had no friends. Really I would, it was really sad. I was not a happy camper. I really <laughs> wanted to move back to New York and, you know, start over again and get more in touch with the people that I'd been with in college who were doing this kind of work. And then... The first show that I booked for this band, I met Gregory because he was managing uh, another band and they were playing together. And he was like, I'm going to show you the ropes. We'll start hanging out. And through him, I met Katie and everyone else that I'm friends with now in the scene. And there were like three months of us hanging out a lot. And then one drunken night, which I think is the way that things happen in this industry a lot. He was like, <laughs> I think it'd be great if you join professional <laughs> bands. And I was like, you know what? Maybe talk to Catherine, like figure it out and then get back to me when you're sober and we can, you know, we can see what happens. And then later that week, they invited me to drinks and they asked me to come on. So I still maintain my non-music job during the day, which I hope to one day turn into a music job. Everyone mm -hmm. looking to hire out there. But, um, <laughs> but this is what I do on the side to, you know, still stay really involved. And it's, 
been great and really made me love living in San Francisco again. So that was really long. Sorry, guys. But that's uh, that wasn't that long. That's where it, that's where it comes from. Long. Believe me, <laughs> I've had much longer rants than that. Good, <laughs> good. So you can all do it. You can all find your scene out there. Well, yeah, that's part of what we've been addressing a lot on this podcast is uh, how people can take part in building a better music industry. Mm-hmm. Right now, everything is kind of in flux. Mm-hmm. All the tried and true uh, paradigms that existed, the business models, the promotional avenues are all changing. Mm-hmm. And that new thing hasn't come and you know, taken the place of the old record label, radio, magazine system that, you know, worked so, so strongly for many, many decades. And it's really, it's a bummer in a lot of ways because it makes things a lot harder for, uh, things aren't delivered to you, you know, and you kind of have to take part in it. You have to actively participate if you want something to happen. Mm -hmm. And so we've been talking a lot to bands, to journalists, uh, and bloggers and pretty much anybody who will come on our show about, you know, how do we, how do we take this opportunity of the void that's been left by this giant mechanism and start to build something that it's a little bit more, uh, equitable i guess for for the people actually creating the art Mm -hmm. because we had you know the the record label system it it had its pros and cons obviously you know a lot of great music came out of that system um but it was it was limiting in a lot of ways you know there were certain types of music that just wouldn't get picked up by the you know the more mainstream labels and stuff like that uh it was much much harder to get your stuff out there mm-hmm. um, but in a lot of ways there was a lot more nurturing going on you know a band would get signed to a label and that label would sign them with the knowledge that they were going to it was a long-term prospect right which sort of started to change right before the industry started imploding mm-hmm. and so right now we're kind of left with with uh you know the side effects of that and so sad to hear you say that the industry has imploded. That makes me well, sad. Well, the traditional industry. <laughs> no, has No, you're right. It's not. I mean, you're the way that you're describing it is correct. But just you know, the reality of that that people who are really passionate about music, not even work in music, but are a part of music every day. It's just sad to yeah. you know, you have to do what you can do to help raise it back up. I guess it's true, and it's not going to be easy, especially with the. Uh, advancements in technology where people can sort of isolate mm-hmm. what they care about and sort of tune out everything else. Yeah. That's, you know, that is a great tool for the individual, but it's a really shitty advancement for people like us who are, whose jobs it is to get the word out about mm-hmm. new artists and shows and stuff like that. But what I think it- that there are certain avenues in technology, and maybe this isn't what you're talking about. And- if that's true, correct me. But um, where when you try to isolate yourself, at least now there are tools that can point you in the direction of new music regardless of that. Like I think yeah. about something like a SoundCloud, which might not yeah. be at all what you're talking about. No, I mean, but, it's one of the tools. Right. Sure. But so if you you identify a song that you really like and it will take you down this path 
of exposing you to new music if you just let yeah. it go. And I think that that's really helpful in ways that I found out about artists that I had never heard of before. Um, and I was talking to a friend this weekend and I thought it was really interesting. She said to me, the first thing she texts every morning when she wakes up is SoundCloud, which like to me, really? I feel, yeah. And I feel really limited by the fact that I check Facebook and Twitter when I wake up and that's <laughs> embarrassing and I need to stop that. But it was so great to hear that she wakes up in the morning and the first thing that she wants to do is go see what was released overnight or what her friends had identified as great songs when they were working at night or working during the day yesterday. I feel like that's a practice we probably all should employ if, if we're that's really cool. passionate about finding new music. Yeah. I won't. I'll still check my Facebook when I wake <laughs> up. But... I think, like Facebook can reflect that too, though. It like, can. Depending on who your friends are and what they're posting about. I feel yeah. like all the groups I belong to on Facebook and like some of the new friends I've made. Yeah. They're like constantly posting about good music. That's true. I think Gregory is actually really great at that and he's not here right now, but Gregory is one of the proponents of why would I turn off the notifications for what I'm listening to? Because if I'm listening to it, I'm not ashamed and I want you all to know exactly what I'm exploring. Mm -hmm. And throughout the day, I'll be on Facebook at work, which I probably shouldn't be, and I'll see... <laughs> you know, the stream of what he's putting yeah. out. And I always it's, see what Gregory's listening Exactly. <laughs> Gregory's always listening to music. Friend him on Facebook, guys. It's all right there. It's DJ Cool Greg finding really all the jams. Him. See, I don't know about that. I mean, I, I just feel so, like, hesitant to click that, like, checkbox to, for the notifications. I don't want anyone to... I just think that it's... I understand where Greg is coming from and I really respect his music taste, so I'm fine seeing what he has to listen to. I'm not always listening to the best stuff because i want to explore everything and some of it might right. be really terrible i feel that yeah. too yeah. um and i don't really want to dilute an already diluted news feed as i say it out loud it sounds uh <laughs> not that great but i want to really limit my social media presence in a lot of ways i feel like it's something that in this day and age you really have to be aware of what you're putting out there in the world really true yeah, I mean, the personal brand has more value than the joke surrounding it. <laughs> and I agree. Um, if I'm going to put myself in a position where I want to be recognized for being involved in this community, then I only want to dilute myself with so many plays of songs where I don't know where it's going or like, you know. Yeah. Also, how many times do people want to know that I'm playing the Dark Side remix of St. Vincent? Like, the, I would let only, people like, know that every day. A million times. I'm listening to it like 25 times a day. <laughs> Maybe they need to build in some sort of filter mechanism. Exactly. So you can, like, as you're listening to it, you could be like, oh, hush up about this one. Yeah. Don't yeah. let them know I'm listening exactly. to this. Exactly. <laughs> or like one time, really one playthrough. Yeah. Uh, Gregory's here. Gregory. Cool Gregory. needed to the building. Party's about to start, guys. So well. I, I just turn it off because basically then people would realize that I just listen to the same music over and over again right. and I don't <laughs> listen to any new music and yeah. it's really embarrassing and Cocteau Twins just like have all the plays on my, any music player I have. It's like. There we go. I think Katie just bought a record of theirs at um, Explorers International this weekend. She went to Explorers for Record Store Day and bought music that was not new, which I respect. Yeah, that was oh, my beer. Guinness yeah, get, the Guinness <laughs> is open. <laughs> Things are happening. Yeah. No, I mean, I. you were talking about SoundCloud and being able to find new music through SoundCloud. And mm -hmm. I I don't like being the guy that like is like, oh, I don't really listen to that much new music. Mm -hmm. But it's true. Like, what I'm interested in is not 
hip right now. Mm-hmm. It's not like, I mean, it is kind of in a way, but it's, it, it's very different. Mm-hmm. Like the modern interpretation of it. What's up, Greg? <laughs> How's it cool Greg in the house. Everyone. What's up? Cool Greg has arrived. <laughs> you want that? I come prepared. But actually for me, it's YouTube recommendation system. Like mm. the, the videos on the side of YouTube. Like expose me, yeah, mm-hmm. to so much shit. Mm-hmm. It's ridiculous. Like, because I am a really big fan of like uh, old school disco and obscure funk mm-hmm. and early house and techno, mm-hmm. which a lot of it is just like someone will release one record with two songs on it, and then that was the only thing that ever got released. So, mm-hmm. it back in the day, you would have to go dig through piles and piles right. of records right and every every thrift store i would go to i would just feel compelled just to like uh, i know this is only going to be like barbara streisand records but mm-hmm. i'm going to flip through them all anyways and i mean that's the hopes <laughs> that's part of the beauty of the music scene now is that i feel like it's becoming more open to a wide range of interests because people have realized that if you like independent music, then you might like underground music. And if you like underground music, then you might like something that's old that no one knows about. And when you dive into that void, you kind of realize that it's a bottomless pit. <laughs> um, and you can go as deep as you want. And I've seen in myself, if not my friends, um, sort of opening my mind to music genres that I never would have thought that I would have liked two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. And now I'm so interested in just like hearing everything and really figuring out what the different types of music make happen to our brains. It's interesting. Like, were you, I, I, we've had this debate a little bit, like whether future generations will have lost something, not having that experience of like, going to a record store and digging through the stacks of vinyl or you know CDs or whatever and then going and listening to it like at the station or whatever. Well, not even that, but like going to the record store and talking to the dudes who run yeah. the record mm-hmm. store yeah, and yeah. like asking for suggestions about yeah. music that you may be into because you like this. Like that was the first YouTube sidebar yeah. or Spotify recommended mm-hmm. plays. Right. Um I'm scared that people are losing that experience of really understanding uh, the community that acts around music. That's not just concerts and and um, concerts and and Spotify and YouTube and everything else, but like going and seeing things and going and meeting people and having conversations about rock. You know, like yeah. does it rock have this crazy timeline that everyone that you know School of Rock detailed so beautifully <laughs> that um is kind of being lost and forgotten. Yeah. And to that end, I mean, there are, uh, the thing that I think is really great specifically about San Francisco, and I'm sure I think that, you know, there, this will exist in a lot of major metropolitan areas. There are these small record stores in San Francisco that I think are, you know, they're struggling to survive, but they have these great resources there. Like you go into Rookie Ricardo's and Dick is amazing. You tell him what you like and he will pick out 10 records for yeah. you. The same, I was recently at Aquarius for, um, for a record signing thing and just, and so we were waiting at, um, 
outside for Wayne Coyne to show up and sign records. And for some reason, Aziz Ansari walked in and he actually bought mm. like $300 worth of vinyl sure. that the dudes who run Aquarius like ran around the store and picked out for him. And he was just down to buy whatever they gave him because he had heard about this shop. He made a special effort to go there and he wanted their recommendations. Obviously, we can't all have deep pockets like that, but right. Gregory is right. We should, you know, go out and ask for those recommendations and, I, and learn. Yeah, it's important to remember where you're spending your money. And mm -hmm. if you listen to a lot of music or whatever, um, you know, you have to remember that SoundCloud is free and YouTube is free and Spotify is free. And you need to find a way to give back and support something if you like it. Because the statistics on album sales are depressing. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and nobody buys CDs anymore. So it's important that if you're listening to music and you really like it, buy the MP3, keep it on your phone forever, um, buy a record. It lasts a long time. It costs $20. And buy a shirt or a <laughs> yeah. pin yeah. or a tote bag or something that like you represents the artist or something to, to contribute right, because yeah. they're doing so much they're spending so much of their time trying to contribute to a space that they mostly for 90% of the work won't be rewarded for you know a lot of people tour a lot now which is great and booking agents are now the new superstars because they are going to get you buzz and relationships with people that can make you money but at the same time you have to make sure that you're, I don't know, buying things from them, not just to concert tickets. Like going to the show is great, but that's not something you can take away and represent as a fan. I think it's really important to be a fan of what you like mm -hmm. and to kind of wear your fans like as an exoskeleton, like what makes you a part of you. I ran into Gregory after the St. Vincent show that we were both at, and he had like a tote bag and a record <laughs> and a poster and a t-shirt. It was amazing. And he was oh, so happy about it. Because she's my favorite artist. I and I think it's really, you know, it's, it's like a sign of pride to wear that stuff out and be yeah. like, oh, and I love wearing it out and be like, oh, you were at the show? I was like, yeah, I was at that show. Yeah. <laughs> it was my show. Yeah, we're friends. Cool. <laughs> but, uh, um, I mean, it, it, it's so important to not just meet people at shows and at festivals, but like to meet people in the real world and, and bond as music fans and you know it's so hard to do because we're all caught up in our own laptops and everyone has their own playlists that they share or don't share but it's so important to talk about you know whether you like arcade fire i don't like arcade fire but if you guys like arcade fire then you guys should all hang out and like talk about arcade fire stuff <laughs> there's a yahoo meetup group for yeah, that yeah right sure. <laughs> and on that to note the old school with that yahoo. <laughs> I, you know and i it's just i'm not I don't think it's important to talk about underground versus mainstream because, you know, the differences are so clear. But whatever side you want to represent, spend your money there and represent it and be proud of why it influences you and leads an impact. And I think that's on that note, it's also important to remember how vast, um, you know, the music world is. And if you don't like one thing, move on to the other. And it doesn't matter. Um what you're into as long as you are supporting and stand for something um if you really love i don't know trance music or something that i'm not interested in i know nothing about then good for you but like support it and go deep don't just settle for the surface level and deep yeah deep music. trance mm -hmm. 
but also don't just buy drugs, like buy music. <laughs> That's what I mean, yeah. <laughs> buy, the, buy your drugs from the musicians. Yeah. Most of them are probably like, slinging right, yeah. uh, Gotta make money somehow. There's got, there's just, there has to be a way to get people to, because artists spend so much of their time and energy and uh, days of their lives and years of their lives working on their crafts. Mm-hmm. And many of them, I mean, even though they're fairly compensated, they're not rewarded in any way. Right. Um, and it's also, I think it's important to get involved. It's important to spend time at local events like record fairs. Um, it's important to, if you like an artist and you have a chance to talk to them after their show because they're selling their own merch, I think it's really important to let them know that they touched you mm-hmm. or right. that you really enjoyed the performance. Um, we always say, you know, artists always are telling us thank you for showing up, but I don't think we're saying thank you for playing enough. Yeah. Hmm. Well, that's, I mean, that's an interesting snaps. point. Remember snaps. <laughs> that's the thing that we do on the show. <laughs> I mean, it's, we, you mentioned CD sales are pretty much tanked. Nobody buys CDs anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are still people that buy records, but. That's not like a majority. Album you know? sales are up 671% though since 2011. Our record sales, vinyl sales. Vi- yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, vinyl cool, is uh, one of those things that, you know, just stays. <laughs> Can you cite that? I'm going to have to go pretty far back in my Twitter timeline. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, now that we don't have a, for most people, we don't have a product that we're actually going out and purchasing. Mm-hmm. Historically, artists have made their money by selling a product you know you're a painter you make a painting you sell the painting and now that we are living in the day and age where it's all information and information is freely available what point you know at what point do we feel like we need to give back to the artist you know it's it's that's the really tough tough paradigm shift that we have to create is the built-in mechanism for people understanding the the value of okay they're giving me something it's giving value to my life at what point do i owe them and how do i you know how do i create that transaction going to shows is is one thing buying merch is one thing but do you think that there will be a product coming out of this you know like is can we ever get back to the to the time where an artist can sell their music Okay, so I, uh, Father John Misty said the other day, it was like some quote, it, it was um, like in the 60s and 70s when music, the first time music was really tangible, like you can go out and buy records, because before right. that, you couldn't, there was no recordings, or it was all pianos, or it was all live music, and now we're kind of going back into a, a time where music is readily available, like it's not really tangible, because it's all data, and you know, this doesn't really answer your question, but it's just like we're in an awkward space like now the things are easily available like it's not like having that picture up on your wall like i can just go listen to the song if i really want to listen to the song yeah um i don't know if if records and the physical mediums that we're all used to are going to take off the like the way they did i think that time might be over like we may be over platinum record sales and stuff like that unless you're beyonce um maybe people sell download codes and exclusive pictures or exclusive posters or something like that. Um, I think from that standpoint, there has to be a little bit more creativity because most people, you know, no matter even with record sales being up, I don't think most people are going to buy records. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you bring up a really good point too. It, it's about scarcity, right? And when you have so much information available to you, 
the thing that is um, the thing that's really driving a lot of the commoditization of music is when you have something that's rare that you can't get. Like when there is a record that's released and there are only a certain number of pressings, you know you have to order it immediately. And it doesn't make enough money for the artist. Mm -hmm. But that's really for, for people who are very involved and, and to drive those sales, that is what it is. It's something that's special and that's unique because everyone can get everything whenever they want as long as they have access to the internet. Um, so it, it, so it becomes this kind of weird fetishized thing which is which is how i think we are with record collection yeah. now and a lot of people who collect records have always been like that yeah but then how do you bring that back to everyone else i don't right. really know right. um because you have to have that same desire and and drive Oh, I think I think people naturally covet things. I think some people covet records, some people covet books. Mm -hmm. It's just whatever the art form is that you like. Um, mm -hmm. You know, if you like something, then buy it. If someone really loves literature and they're going out to use bookstores and buying books and going and seeing readings and paying for that, that's the same thing. And also... I'm not mad at people that buy stuff on iTunes. Like, if that's the way they feel right. most connected with something, then right. please, like, spend the iTunes money on it. I think that's also very important. And not, uh, you know, you're not any less of a music fan no. because you decide to buy the record on iTunes rather than... At least you're buying the record. Yeah. yeah. The yeah. medium is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's just about going out and getting it. I just think that the push to get something when it becomes... We're, we're in a phase where like you only want to get something if it is a, if it's special, right? And like that's the issue is that like music in and of itself has, is not special anymore because we all have access to it all the time. Yeah. And like what makes it special again? What makes it rare and what makes it something, or not rare, but, but because you have so much information, we're losing the idea that it, that it is something we should be thankful for that we're, that we have this unlimited. Access. So look at Wu Tang, you know. So, look at what exactly, to, right? exactly. Scarcity. That's true. But that brings up an interesting thing because it's like Record Store Day. Record mm. Store Day is a fantastic event. It brings out all these people to local record stores, and people spend hundreds of dollars on records for one day, though. Right. Yeah. You know, next month, there's you know, what did two percent of those people that were there on Record Store Day are still spending a hundred dollars on a Saturday on vinyl? Right. And record store is fantastic because it gives local record stores a, a opportunity to re-up and buy yeah. new things at the day after. But at the same time, there are also some like fundamental problems with record store day mm -hmm. in the way that you're buying stock that you cannot return. So you'll go into, I don't feel, I love you Amoeba, but I don't feel that terrible for Amoeba. You'll go into right. Amoeba and throughout the year you'll see that there are these records, seven inches, LPs that never sold mm -hmm. and they can't return them where normally if you have overstock, you can ship it back to the manufacturer. So right there, you have smaller shops that also run into that problem where they stock up on things that they may never sell and then they can never get rid of them. And the other thing is that they don't stagger it correctly so that pressing plants are overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And then you have labels, smaller labels. Like, for example, we I, – I don't know if all of us do, but I know that Greg and I are uh, subscribers to Turntable Kitchen. Like, they couldn't get their records this month because the plants were overwhelmed by record store day. Mm -hmm. And oh. so they had to push it back, which is fine. I mean, they're, they're going to be fine. It doesn't – you know, they'll get them out eventually. It's just a bummer. Uh, I heard I, – I've definitely talked to five different record – people that had records coming out in this month 
that had delays because of record store day, right. which is, I mean, totally understandable. And like, like we were saying, people go to record store day because all these things are exclusive. Right. And, you know, this is their one time to get them. But fundamentally, does that really work? Like, yeah. just be, if the only motivation for people to buy records is the exclusivity, we're only giving them that one day a year to really express themselves buying records, and people are buying records that aren't even record store day releases. Right. So, like, what's stopping them from spending $20 or $40 a, a week or every two weeks or even, like, $40 a month on vinyls or any record whatsoever? They got to um, pay for that Obamacare. Man. Yeah. Man. <laughs> hey, Obamacare helped out a lot of people. <laughs> Are we going to segue into Obamacare? Oh, no. No. Oh, yeah, that, sh- that shit that was, was expensive, though. That was fun. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> but, no, I mean, here's an interesting thought, but, though. But, like, uh, Wait, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'll go for you. it. I'm sorry to interrupt. But um, we live in San Francisco. I just spent $4 on a coffee. Yeah. You know, like... Yeah, so I four used vinyls. I mean, so we spent four dollars on it. I heard there's a toastery place that just opened up that's selling three dollar toast for three artisan toast for three dollars. It's a good toast. I heard it's really good. But but I'm saying it's, it's like yeah, we talk about sunset. expenses, but there's I mean, we all spend money going yeah. out and. On I Ubered to get here. Like, right. that was a record that oh, could have been bought, it. you know? Cool Greg is balling. <laughs> I'm not balling. I'm spending my rent money. Uber life. But, but, you know, there's always saying, oh, it's too expensive, blah, blah, blah. But it's not too expensive. It's just we're putting our money in other places. Right. And when we say it's too expensive, we're not respecting music as an art form because we're saying, oh, music doesn't deserve the money that I'm going to go spend on toast. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> No, that's that's my like toast that, money. Yeah, those people that get that toast probably really value that toast, though. Um, I haven't I mean, had it. I'm sure it's dope, though. I like I, I, so where? It's in the Outer Sunset? It's in the Outer Sunset. I don't know, I don't know what it's called. Trouble Coffee? Like, where is this? Uh, this I've never been to Trouble Coffee, but this place is toast. next to um, Outerlands in the this Outer Sunset. This is the same uh, thing. It's Trouble. Oh, it's probably them. It's they probably they make trouble. their own bread. They've been making it's $3 good. toast for a long time, yeah. and I've been consuming it for a while while I buy my $40 of you records a week. Yeah. You can right. do both. Yeah. So, <laughs> mysterious parallel. toast company in the sunset, if you guys want to come and sponsor <laughs> our podcast, yeah, we're, we're quite get happy. the word out, be uh, selling those fucking slices of toast. Just give us some toast. They episode. toast it, it's thick, they toast it, and then they put butter on it, and they stab the toast, so the butter just seeps down inside, and they put cinnamon on top. I'm sure it's good. It's delicious. Yes, I'm sure it's good, but that new tweens record is really good too. And well, I'm can, sure they're not selling so you can more than like two Choose what also. you spend your money on. You can have a really meager salary and decide how much you can afford to spend on art every month. You can have a really big salary and decide how much you want to spend on art every month. But the importance is recognizing that whichever way that is, you are making a conscious decision and you are never too broke to support something that you love. And, you know, well, unless you really have a problem. Unless you really broke. Really unless you really yeah, have I mean, a problem. I think, I think that a <laughs> lot of people who, a lot of people in this city who maybe are, are struggling to get by, who are in our scene, oftentimes take issue with like this idea that like, why don't you just buy a record? Why don't you just go to a show? And it's really hard for them to hear that. I heard that at, at one of the nightlife and tech talks. Uh, someone raised their hand and was like, what do I do if I can't actually afford to go to a show? And uh, I think that it's just getting involved in the conversation, too. Like, I think mm-hmm. that that has a yeah. place being, you know, being broke in San Francisco, being broke anywhere in this country in this time, you know, in the world as a whole is a reality. But as long as you are voicing the fact that it may be hard for you to get involved 
when you have no money but you still want to be involved like that is still helpful but i don't want to you know lessen it, it's but i you know i don't i don't think it's so hard to get involved because all you have to do is team up with three other friends mm -hmm. and you know plan this thing called a record fair oh, yeah no no, no. that's and, that part's true I and, you that. know really give your if you if you're really serious about it, you can give your time and effort right. and you know i think we spent really to put on the record fair twenty dollars collectively after it was said and done yeah yeah um, true. I mean, we have people who like will flyer for us and yeah. post things on their blogs for us in exchange for show tickets so i think like right mm -hmm. if you yeah. if you want something you'll find a way to ask for it a way mm -hmm. to work for it a way to that's it. a great it's point a great way, to, a get way to get involved i right. think that's really important i think that's one thing that um i think that's what we're missing you know everyone's talking about our venues are being gone or blah 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 i think what's lacking is um everyone's willingness to be involved people Everyone expect likes things to, yeah. to be easy people like to show up to things and pay their ten dollars and be like oh this is great but it really doesn't take that much time and energy to collect data that you want and create a forum for you to have a voice yourself yeah you can repost songs on facebook and twitter that's no charge except your electricity yeah. bill mm -hmm. and internet bill and internet bill mm -hmm. we had internet shut off last night guys because we were doing a transition it's rough a world without it internet is, is rough. rough yeah yeah and it takes a, several days from to get it back up and running sometimes. i hope that when i get home it's working again yeah. but probably not Shouts out to monkey brains by the way monkey brains best isp That's around and super cheap i'm on their what? list what is, i'm waiting tell me about this. super fast yeah, what is super that? cheap tell super me about local it. i've had it for like two years it's like Six times faster than one of the two big companies I had before that. And Super it never goes nice. down. Super it's SF-based. Nice. We have it for our office, and we get it for a fourth of the price as the next cheapest price. Right. Shout out to Monkey Brains. Those two big yeah. competitors yeah. that really blow. But you, it's so popular <laughs> right now that you have to wait on yeah. a really long line. Um, when oh, I put in my, my ticket, I had like a couple hundred people ahead of me and she was like, just give me 48 hours and call back and then we'll like figure it out. And I was like, shit. All right. Good things come to the Can I put wait. in my request now and wait? Cause I'll be moving soon and then I can like get it at my new spot <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A one day, one day I'd like to live in the mission address. <laughs> I actually, I've been for a long time looking for like a local alternative to the problem is it's SF only spares. Mother. You live in the <laughs> Wait, where yeah. Do you live in Oakland? Yeah, I live in Oakland. Yeah, Oakland's tight. Yeah. Oakland's Oakland the shit. Tight. Oakland's great. I, what's your favorite Oakland bar? Mm, favorite Oakland bar. Let me think about that. Um, does a venue count? Yeah, sure, yeah. They serve um, alcohol. Personally, I love Eli's. Mile High Club. Uh-huh. Um, it's, it's it's a total shithole. That's what I was going to say. I've heard that you leave uh, and you can't wear your shoes anymore that you wore into that venue. And so it's a one-time one, like, one shoe yeah. policy. It's really? like old-school punk <laughs> venue. Yeah. Um, super low-profile. Just, you know, you go in. Everybody looks cool. They've got leather. They've got their <laughs> patches all. And, like, everyone's there for the music. And everyone's there to just, you know, have a good time. Uh-huh. And they showcase a lot of awesome local artists. Sweet. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, that's the kind of place that 
that I really like to go. Have you been to the Kingfish? That's my favorite. Yeah, yeah, that's an awesome that spot. Place. Yeah. I've been there in a long time. It's though. really good. They have free popcorn. Yeah, this is my yeah. plug for the Kingfish. Free popcorn, and the entire bar was built around a shuffleboard table that they wanted to have in the bar. So they had to find a space that had an alleyway in the back so they could like build this shack where they could put this vintage shuffleboard table, and it's awesome. I used to go there a lot. I had some friends that lived in Oakland. They don't live there anymore. We'd go in, like, all the old men taught me how to play shuffleboard. They're, like, borderline creepy, but I learned a lot, and I came out of it a much better shuffleboard player. So everyone should go check it out. See, nice. I love Oakland. Maybe I should move to Oakland. I love the mission. I love Oakland. I think Oakland's great. I think if any place, if anything is suffering from BART ending early and us not having mm. more 24-7 yeah. transportation Get into that options, conversation now. <laughs> it's Oakland's nightlife. Right. Because Oakland has so many great things going on and has good shows all the time. And mm-hmm. the situation there is great. Yeah. Except we all have to be on BART by 1145. Well, yeah. And there's other factors. We do a show at the night, night last night. And, um, how hard is it to get SF fans out over to the nightlife? It's, there were it's some impossible. There were, the, the, the funny thing is the most people there were from San Francisco, yeah. but the problem, but you know, you, yeah. You understand when you throw a show in Oakland like that, you really understand what the nightlight or not what the nightlight, what the fox has to do and get yeah. people out of there right. in time to go to the bar. Get that last bar like, train. Right. The last thing you can do is have people there at midnight because no one can get back home. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, you know, the I mean, I know that there has been a lot of discussion right now about BART. I just and and extending the hours. And I did anyone go to the talk that happened? There I was had, like a I was at work. Yeah, I was at work, too. We got jobs. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm I'm just, like, interested to hear what they say, because, you know, the the way that they always position it is that they didn't do a good job when they were building it, right? And so unlike the New York subway system where they can run 24 hours because they have multiple tracks and they can run maintenance, Mm -hmm. there's just no way for them to do that. Um, And I feel like that excuse makes sense, but it's kind of tired at this point. Like, what, like, what are we supposed to do? We're building a subway system from Chinatown to Market Street, which makes absolutely no sense and is completely wound up in other things. Like, why can't we figure that out? Shrimp boy have something to do with that? (laughs) Probs. I mean, have you seen, I've never seen so much construction in San Francisco before. It's actually really crazy. It's actually, I mean, from the mission to the Soma to the hate, like, there is a lot of construction everywhere. So it just, I don't know. I, I, I'm missing the justification right. to why public transportation doesn't get more of a yeah. Google paid for BART. Less room for profit. <laughs> if there. Google yeah. paid for BART, I would never hate on Google again. Yeah, come on, you could wear your Google out. hoodies everywhere. I would never Google even hate. Google BART. Wi Fi on every BART train, guys, which I think they're trying to accomplish and failing at Video every day. But I really need, I'm not going to be happy until there's outlets under every seat. You want this to be like a like a Virgin America airplane right now? Virgin, come and take over. Charge, (laughs) charge devices wirelessly with Tesla technology. Yes, like that's that's what I'm saying. It's all it's all a scam, though. I mean, I I imagine with the with the construction of Bart back in the day. I mean, look at the new bridge. Mm -hmm. That shit is not even a year old, and it's already like oh, everything's rusting. The the bolts are all rusting. Yeah, I'm not paying attention. Nightmare. I don't know. And I can't bike it, which is fucking retarded. not yet. So I don't yeah. know when yeah. you're going to be able to. Half the bridge. They yeah, no, that is ridiculous. But we were Go never. I mean, like, back? yeah, hang out at Treasure Island. Duh. Yeah, who wants to hang out at Treasure Island? You can't even get to Treasure Island. <laughs> they got to watch, watch, watch some Island, rugby. They Go to the wine market. Knocking down the rest of the bridge before you can actually get to Treasure Island. Oh, Treasure Island Fest. Treasure Island's a pretty scary place. Silly. It is pretty creepy. It's like low-income housing. Is it? Yeah. I went. I actually went and 
was trying to take a look at like a property in Treasure Island back He's in the day. He's taking selfies right now. Oh, that's selfies? cool. That's cool. <laughs> Social media. You know you're on video right now? Yeah. Am I? <laughs> no, he has no idea. He's in, like on his phone taking selfies. Meta. Oh. <laughs> that shit is Treasure Island is hella creepy though. Wait, yeah. Yeah. I just see Tuesday? right here. This is the camera. Oh, what's up, dude? I'm just like. <laughs> So so there's just like kids like roaming the streets it's like it's like a stephen king novel right it reminds me the way you describe it for some reason sounds like west side story to me like the movie version of west side story they're just like gangs everywhere like young not gangs, gangs just like creepy, of children like children of children. the corn i've never like, seen corn. west side story am i missing out you are you yes. absolutely are what Profan musical night is a thing that's about to happen you know about the snapping i do i watch curb your enthusiasm <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how we got so far derailed onto. I don't know. I really. I like it though. <laughs> Officer Crumpkey, man. Well, Crumpkey. you've never seen it, and yet you know these things. What? Curb uh, your enthusiasm. Larry David has a deep love for. Uh, yeah, he does. Larry David. Yeah, I know. Embrace <laughs> my my dad, Larry David. Crazy eyes killer. Shouts out to him. Well. <laughs> Crazy eyed killer. Well, one of the one of the things that the thoughts that came to me. Uh, Greg, when you were talking, was when you were mentioning how uh, up until like the 60s, I, I guess, mm-hmm. but it started a little bit before that, totally. but the idea of having a product to sell to people that was a tangible thing that people could have to own music, uh, we're kind of returning to that, which kind of makes me think, you know how like the whole financial crisis like was just a huge bubble propped up and like none of it should have actually happened Mm -hmm. like that if you were Mm going to do things in the right way it shouldn't have ever got to that is the music industry that we grew up with i mean was that a bubble like was that an anomaly that shouldn't have really happened I mean, I think so. I don't think hip hop should have ever been as popular as it was. Not that hip hop's a bad medium or bad, but I think that there's more important music that was happening Ooh, at the time. Strong words. Shot, shots fired. I kind of want to. I kind of want to unpack that as a statement. It, that he just that. Well, there was so many. There's there was a lot of MTV and pop music that yeah, was yeah. also hip hop that sold millions and millions of records. Yeah. And, you know, like, TLC is a great example. Not that they weren't making good music, but, like, obviously the music industry wasn't looking after them. Yeah. Um, but that was that was different, though. Let's. I, I just I just watched the VH1 uh, movie about that. <laughs> signing bad signing contracts. contracts. I mean, that wasn't – they were very popular. They just were coming up in a time where there was no one looking out for them. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they didn't know how to look out for themselves. And that is, you know, a whole other issue. But in the I music think industry. that was a lot of the music industry then. I think yeah. that there, there were people bad... taking advantage of, of younger acts who I, didn't know what they were doing. There were bad contracts and written into your contract that we're going to film a million dollar music video that's going to come out of your budget and right. your album sales. Right. And but that um, was a product of that time, right? I mean, there was that was so new. Uh, for what was going on, you have, you know, you talk about pop music, you talk about hip hop being popular. There's always going to be some genre, something that's very popular. The, the reality though is that the history of that created so many changes really quickly. Like when the Beatles were coming up, for example, no one is filming music videos for them. There was no budget going to their music video. Them being on Johnny Carson in and of itself was a, you know, an industry changing experience. Uh, so, the industry didn't, I mean, artists didn't know how to ride those waves mm-hmm. when it was becoming a big thing. And 
it took a lot of learning and now well i guess my point was was like those almost. those expensive music videos that turned out to be the greatest advertisements ever for that kind of right. music was, right is what sold those records to massive numbers right but the problem with that but the money never went to the artists it always right, went to the yeah. people that were in charge so mm -hmm. i do think that there was a problem if mo if mm. artists were making the necessary the money that they were making and you know they were only doing 10,000 budget or you know $50,000 budget music videos right and things were a little bit more sane Lisa Left Eye Lopez really wanted that space video, though. That's what I found out. <laughs> but no, it was a waste. It was it but, was kind of a waste. In the yeah, end, but right? what, what's artistic? I mean, I understand videos are very artistic, and it has a lot to do with the vision of the artist. They but can be. They can be. They but can at the, be. at the same time, they can be a huge waste of money and a huge waste of time and effort. Yeah. Right. But I mean, the label could have absorbed that cost. Right. Which, like, would they have? They wouldn't have, mm -hmm. right? But well, I think yeah, like, that's more of the problem. It's not like if, the cost of the video, but the fact that labels think it's okay right. to take. But I don't think the label would. I don't think there's a world that we live in that a label would have taken a billion dollars on. No, that's capitalism. Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, it's who who is taking home the most money is probably the person that should have fronted that money. Mm -hmm. And I guarantee you, the artist wasn't taking home the most of that money. Totally. Right. I don't know if you guys saw the. VH1 documentary series, The Tanning of America, recently that came out. Mm -mm. Um, uh, Billy Corbin's directed it, the guy who did Cocaine Cowboys, which if you haven't seen is fucking amazing. <laughs> um, it's about the, the influence of hip hop culture on American culture and how it's been sort of co-opted <laughs> and adopted as mm -hmm. mainstream American culture now. And one of the things that really, really hit home to me and i've talked about this on a previous episode is uh dr dre talking about beats by dre headphones he's made more money in just a few short years with beats by dre headphones than he ever made in his entire career cumulative we're talking nwa we're talking uh the chronic we're talking snoop dogg mary j blige eminem all this made more money in like the last three or four years mm -hmm. with headphones mm -hmm. so and we know that dr dre uh actually brought so much money into the music business in the 90s that to, to that money went somewhere mm -hmm. obviously not to him but yeah i mean it's it should be the people that are reaping the most benefit from it taking the risk mm -hmm. and not the people who are sure. you know out there uh actually putting their blood sweat and tears into the into right. the product mm -hmm. you know but that's another that's another question is that nowadays we don't have this label system behind artists that kind of propped them up before a lot of people have to do stuff themselves mm -hmm. a lot of bands you know they do their own social media they do their own website they self-release albums they record stuff at home which is a big strain on them that's time they're not you know, practicing or whatever, mm -hmm. but also it, it makes them more independent, I guess. And you don't have to worry quite as much about being taken advantage of by a bad contract or, you know, you, you kind of learn the ropes so you know what to expect. But then at the same time, you, you know, can you be as good of an artist if, you know, you're splitting your attention so much? I think that's where a lot of the divide comes is that, you know, if you're really good at anything, you can put all of your time towards that one thing or you can market yourself and that's the continuous problem with all mediums of art 
is marketing something and splitting your time. It's it you know it sets apart a lot of different bands. Well, I think something that bands, if they haven't recognized already, they should recognize now, especially in this climate where there aren't labels that are going to find you and pay you in advance, is that you're not just starting a band. If you want to be, if you want to make money off of this product, you're starting a business, and yeah. you have to learn how to release a record yourself and put out music yourself and garner your own attention because we don't live in a world where labels give you attention anymore. Getting signed is a great boost. It's a great show of support from someone else, but I haven't seen a label give someone attention or put someone on in a very long time. I feel like now it's all yeah. the acts uh, garnering attention, putting out music, um, putting out music videos, releasing yeah. things in an interesting way. And, um, I mean, it's important for new acts and existing acts to recognize that they're not a band, they're a business. Mm -hmm. And um, there's things that you have to do to be successful in this business. They're as much a part of the business as the promoters or the venue. Um, they have responsibilities that they have to uh, withhold. And you don't have to be excessively outgoing in order to succeed in that business environment. You just have to recognize that there are people who are thirsty for your product um, and put it out in a way that's interesting to you. I mean, do you guys think that there is going to be like a new industry or do you think it's going to from now on it's just going to be this sort of fragmented, very niche, like lots of different niche categories that operate independently? doesn't operate independently i would say you know there's a bunch of guys behind desks that pick and choose what is going to be you know because like venues like a venue like slims isn't just listening to bands there's a right. group of agents that represent a number of acts that are systematically offering and figuring out uh lineups and putting shows together um so from that standpoint you know, it's, oh, I lost what I was saying. So you kind of think that like the, <laughs> basically the, uh, it's being the live music industry is the new music industry, essentially. Well, it's, it's the one that people are seeing the most return for their investment in terms of an act spending time and energy creating music. That's where they're getting most of their money from. Um, I don't think that there's like another world or like there's not two different industries, like an independent industry. And an industry with, you know, or and other people that have labels and managers and, and agents and stuff. I think you just, no matter what, you have to cross over into this kind of world. Like Chance the Rapper, no label or anything. But, you know, when you get 500,000 plays on, like, multiple songs, you kind of catapult yourself into a, I should have everything that anyone else at anywhere near this level has. Yeah. And there's people scouting bands who, you know, do oh. still notice that. It, hel them. it helps. Everyone's, I mean, I think everyone's scouting. You know, we're all on the internet looking at the, mm -hmm. the news yeah. and checking out what songs come on. I am a like notorious SoundCloud surfer. I We've already talked about going. it. You missed us talking <laughs> oh. about you surfing the SoundCloud. I surfed the SoundCloud yeah. pretty deep. And, DJ and, Cool Greg. And, but I think, I think a lot of people do that. And I think I, anyone in the music industry yeah. from that standpoint does that because you want to be the one that discovers this new act. Mm -hmm. Like there's not like there's a lack of people that want to discover music. I want to discover the next 
FKA Twigs. Like, you know, I want to create the next Ellie Golding. Um, it just all takes time and it's all realistic now because everything's so transparent. If you're a new act and you just put your music on SoundCloud, I know how many listens you have. I know how many people follow you. I know how many Facebook likes you have. I know how many Twitter followers you have. I know exactly how much social interaction you have with the rest of the world. Online. 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 All right. that social interaction right. is a business model. All if you're not engaging in the mm -hmm. business model, then you're not going to be successful in the type of level that we're talking about at this table right now. And it's hard to be at that level. I don't, it's not easy. You know, no. you don't just wake up one day and start and put on a guitar and be like, I'm going to make great music now that people are really going to like. No, I think it takes a lot of time of finding yourself and defining not just what you want to sound like, but who you are as a musician. Well, and I, well, I think it's important to say that can happen. Like, look at what happened to Justin Bieber. Oh, like, no. that is how Justin Bieber got to where he is today. But he is, that is so rare. And it gives so many people a lot of hope. But the reality is it's harder than just putting up several YouTube videos of you dancing like Usher and singing like Usher. Like, that's not going to get you where you're going to be. And there still are those exceptions to the rule. And that, and those are the superstars that will be made. And that's how they will be made. But, you know, it's, let me say, it's irresponsible if you think you're going to be a musician, for a career musician. It's completely irresponsible. Less than 1% of musicians become career musicians where they can focus all of their mm. time on making money off of music that they create and touring. Um, you got to have a day job. You got to like live your normal life. Got to um, be on that hustle. It's hard. It's hard to be the one guy, you know, like Skrillex's joke just happened. Shout out to Sonny. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Getting he, it done. I mean, he was in a band for several years before that before he became Skrillex. And they were fairly successful as well. Even uh the FKA Twigs interview that came out on Fader today, she started making music in 2008 and didn't start become discovered until 2012. Like you have to give yourself that 4 mm -hmm. years. It's like going to college. It's We're like starting a small business. It's like right. doing any job at any level. You have to do it for long enough where you, you work can your way figure out. out how to be good at it. Mm hmm um, you don't just start a job at Subway and you're like, oh, basic at Subway. No, you gotta, if you want to be like a manager, I'm not saying if you want to be dope at Subway, but if you want to be like a manager. <laughs> that Subway analogy is what yeah, I'm going to use from now on. Yeah, if you're going to be a sandwich artist, I'm gonna get, it takes a couple of years before you're like yeah, I a mean, Picasso of sandwiches. You just want to be the motherfucker <laughs> slicing the pickles your whole hey, life? Fuck you guys that, should go you check know? out a, have you guys ever been to Marina Sub? Yeah. <laughs> shout out, shout, shout out yeah. to Q who owns Marina Sub, and he can slice an avocado like no one's business. And you know that that has taken years to perfect. That's a hard fruit to slice. It's, a, it's amazing the way that he gets it done. He like slices it in half, and he takes the knife to the jam it into the pit, uh, and then he that. slams the knife down on the wooden counter. Been going there since I was little. I'm really into it. I always want to do that. Like whenever I'm at home, I'm like, I should like. Get the pit out, like by doing the knife thing. It's scary, and then, and then I fucking he, psych myself out. Right, right, and then he like he he like takes it out of the rind, I guess. And then the way that he slices it, you're sure he's gonna lose a finger. But Ooh. that never gets on my sandwich. It's just the avocado. I once met a chef who had lost a finger. <laughs> oh man, oh, really? Yeah, there sure was there's, real life. there's a burrito spot over oh. by my college campus, and we would always go there. Me and my my friend, we'd like walk over there, super stone. And one day we were like more stone than usual, and the guy was like, "You got to be careful." Oh, we can like, talk about being stone. That's cool. I mean, <laughs> this guy was like, "Yeah, he's are like, you, are you, you talking about illegal? Talking drugs? about marijuana? <laughs> what?" Uh, and he was like, "You guys are so stone. Like, I can't believe you're like out in public. We're like, it's chill, dude. Don't worry about it." He's like, "One day." I went into work and I was really stoned and we we're like, yeah, whatever. Like we do that sometimes. And he's like, no, 
this was a bad idea. This was a really bad day. We're like, what happened, man? He's like, I was making a, I was making a burrito, you know, going through my shift. I'm chopping away, chop, chop, chop. And I'm chopping up chicken, like, towards the end of my shift. And I towards cut off my finger, end of his finger, shift? Man. He's probably been there towards for, like, the eight hours. Oh, my gosh. End of his shift. And he, like, holds up his finger, and he's, like, has a stud. Oh, my God. And he just starts laughing about it. <laughs> I bet. I bet Stone so, like, Donnell that that is not a real story, <laughs> and he just told you that to freak you I'm out totally while you sure. were high. Like, I am positive that that came from something else. He lost that shit on the <sighs> conveyor oh, belt exactly. when he was Homeboy kept three years old. <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. Also, I feel like I was being too harsh. I'm not saying don't go out and make music and have a good yeah. time making music. Make music. Make music. Enjoy it. But make music recreationally don't expect to be the next big band just because you believe in yourself that's great Wait, i think that that's wrong i'm gonna tell you i what think you that's mean? wrong i mean i think that you should have some optimism when you're putting out music like if you don't think you can be the big the next big band don't be fucking making but music but I'm, like just have realistic expectations and have other right. things going on Look, make music i kind of disagree i i think expectations will ruin you that's not what you said but i just want no. to make sure i just that's want to make that okay but um i think it's very healthy to make music recreationally like just i agree put, I, you know like i there's so much pressure i mean as people who all collectively work in the music mm-hmm. industry i don't know if you guys get asked but i get asked constantly do you make music and like yeah i do but it's for myself, you know, right. Like, right. and I think right. it's really important to first see music as a release. And as you learn how to do it, then maybe pursue everything else. I guess what I meant more is like, if you don't have that mentality that you can really make it, you're probably not going to make it anyways. Yeah, like that's, yeah. that's what you have to, you, you have to go into it with that attitude. If you, if you really think you're going to no, go you should, No matter if you're making music or making sandwiches, you should be confident in your, whatever the craft is. Um, because like no one else is going to be confident for you. If you don't believe in yourself, no one else will. But you know, at the same time, don't try and kill yourself. I mean, this is like the type of thing that we see in bands where there's one or two people in the band who really want to like make it and they want to make it their main source of income and they want to do this big thing. And then there's one or two other people in the band who, oh, thank you who are just trying to play to have fun and they're perfectly happy doing whatever it is that they're doing. Um, and I think it's just understanding a distinction between those two things and that both are fine and that you can make a record and just sell it to your friends and a few other people. And if that's what makes you happy and that's an investment in something that, you know, then good for you. It's, but, an, yeah. it's important to be happy off your own accomplishments, not what other people see in you. Those people are going to be weeded out no matter what, you know, because it's, it's some it's, artists last the test of time. Mac DeMarco in 30 years, I fucking guarantee it. You're going to show your kids that record and be like, look, these are the deep cuts and they're going to put it on and love it. But exactly. And, you know, he's a great example of someone who I don't think expected to become, you know, if you read like his interviews and like what where he came from and who he is now, I don't think he was someone that ever, you know, when he started playing music, expected to be who he is now. He made music, though, because he enjoyed making music and because it was something to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a you have to have noble beginnings. You can't go into a situation like I'm going to be one of the top people in this in this things maybe that i don't know if that's ever worked for anybody in anything or also just someone on the street being like hey i'm the next big rock star like listen yeah. to my demo yeah it, it just... have you guys seen um the documentary the decline of western civilization part two i know uh, no, i have but not. I want to now. you have to it's essential viewing it's from it's 
uh, there's been three version, part one, two, and three. Part one was about uh, like the early like L.A. punk scene, like Black Flag stuff like that, mm -hmm. and the second is the best. It's about uh, it's I think it's called the Metal Years. It's like the subtitle, mm -hmm. and uh, this filmmaker Penelope Sapphiris, I think is her name. Um, she goes around and interviews like all the you know the it was the time where hair metal was starting to take over metal and like the sunset strip was like the place to be everybody like who wanted to be in a band was there they were flyering on the streets and everyone had the same look and everyone thought that they were going to be the next motley crew or the next poison <laughs> or whatever and it's the most tragic thing you will ever see in your life because every single person she asked them, well, what are you, you going to do if you don't make it? And everyone is, that's not possible. I'm going to make it. I mean, if you, if you heard us, you would, you would know right. that, like, that and, and, yeah, we're going to make it. And, you know, stuff like that just makes me sad because there's so, much, there's so many more rewarding things than succeeding in the music industry. Life yeah. is, you know, life is better. Go travel, go like eat cool foods that I don't get a chance to eat. I was just and, watching Anthony Bourdain the other day. And then write songs about it. Yeah, then write songs about it. Go I have mean, successful relationships and then watch them fail and then write a song about there it. There are so many dudes and girls with guitars and drums and basses and synthesizers that you can't realistically think that you're going to be the one. If you do realistically think that, you are being egocentric and you are not looking at the bigger picture of the world right. situation. Because the goal, I mean, the goal should be to, to be communicating with people and mm -hmm. to, be, to be sharing your own experience. And uh, to me, the, the place of an artist in society is to uh, be a sponge, mm -hmm. to soak in what is happening around them, soak in their version of reality and translate it back for people in a way that allows them to gain some kind of uh, meaning from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, because not everyone is an artist. Not everyone has that ability. And not a, the way our society is framed, you don't have time to sit there and just postulate about shit all day long. Mm -hmm. You know, like we need these people in our society whose job it is to sort of digest and show it back to us in a way that we can think about things well, in a different aspect. And also have that aspect. emotional connection, too. I know that Katie yeah. and I specifically have talked a lot about, like, the way that music and memory are intertwined, and that's, like, something that I wish that one day I could learn more about when I find time to go back to school. But I think yeah, that, like, these are the things that you touch on. You know, these are the ways that you experience... For me, it's the way I experience emotion. You know, I listen to music, and that's how I process what's going on right. around me. Yeah. Even if it's someone that no one has ever heard of, it still means something to me. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I just, you know, remembering being younger and for the first time being like, you know, getting chills down my spine from some song that I had never heard of before and I had no idea who sang it and I had no mm -hmm. idea what it was called. And um, I don't know. It's like a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, I, I, and I totally understand what you guys are saying. I don't know. I just have this, this, this thing um, with all the musicians that always say it. Of course, I'm going to make it. Everyone has this golden veil up above the music industry. Like, things are so good here. Right. And yeah. everything right. is, yeah. like, rutted, like, yeah. on time. And things right. are all perfect. And everyone's making money. It's the very opposite of the situation, right. especially today, you know. Like, right. 
very rarely, you know, full time music industry person. I don't, you know, I barely make enough money to live in the city. Yeah. I guess it wasn't for me. That wasn't about. It was more like someone can still not be successful, but hopefully, like they have that impact on like one person. Yeah, you know, yeah. like you have that emotional connection to that song, even if I'm one of like. 3,000 people that listens to it. It's connected to a happy time in my life or a sad time in my life or something in between. Yeah. Uh, that I would hope would be a success. Yeah. But uh, I think what I'm saying is like that should be that That's should be your goal. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Because this other thing of like I'm going to be the most popular. Yeah. Even when you're popular, you're not making money. Mm-hmm. Money is a very yeah. rare occurrence. Yeah. Lord yeah. makes money. Maybe. 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 For now, she money. does. Maybe. Maybe Somebody's she... making money. Somebody's making money. We don't money. know if it's her. Yeah. But know? she has to make sure that she manages it all correctly yeah. and, and she figures play it shows. out. Yeah. And... Someone's, someone's right. making money. There are people making money. Um, right. I think the perfect pussy example is good. Meredith says that she hasn't made, she hasn't seen a dollar from the band. And they're arguably one of the most popular bands in America right now. Mm-hmm. And have been since CMJ last October. But... So it's like no one's no one's making money, right? No one's you know no one's seeing. It's not that you know, but they do have an awesome opportunity to go play all these shows, and I think that's what people really mean yeah. when they're like, "I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna have this experience where everyone knows my name, and I'm gonna go out on the road, and people are gonna want to talk to me, yeah, and look at me always, and like when I walk yeah. out and talk yeah. to fans, I'm the person that they're all staring at. I think it also Same. depends on like what, Same. yeah, and what you want make it to me right. right like i think of uh someone like eleanor friedberger and like she bought a house this year right. and like for yeah. her like that's really exciting that she has a house that she can fix up and she can live in and she's right. still playing all these shows but like she now has a home like mm-hmm. that's yeah. exciting mm-hmm. for her and that means that she is happy in where she is it depends on you know if you want to be like the taylor swift that has five homes and is dating a kennedy and like running around the world like okay your definition of made it right. is and Not really all, about that anymore. That's all a kind of construct. You right. Know, it's, like, exactly. Yeah, it's a product of luck and um, luck. a few other things. Luck and timing are a big luck and part timing. Of, yeah. the, of everything. Or unluck, I guess you would say. Because right. it's yeah. not right. like, you know, people people idolize this idea of celebrity. Mm-hmm. And we live in a celebrity-obsessed culture. But, like, on the real, like, what celebrity do you know that is, like, cool with it you know like right. everybody who is a who's worth a good goddamn has been fucked over like has mm-hmm. had something that disillusioned them with the the entire industry mm-hmm. right has had you know drug problems alcohol problems been <laughs> fucked over by a manager been taken advantage of i mean this is like this is the reality of the business you know mm-hmm. at least how it has been traditionally or you know? has he been lost it on stage right and i mean you look at like you know, like someone like Lindsay Lohan, who like, you know, was is a celebrity, like one of the biggest celebrities. And like, did you guys would watch, you want to be Lindsay no, Lohan? You watch, it? I watch Oprah. Yeah. No. That, I, I mean, that. that it's it's sad. Lindsay Lohan tangent for a second. It's sad. At the same time, if so, if Oprah was paying for my new apartment in Manhattan, right. and I mean, three personal assistants, I'd be pretty chill. But um. Yeah, it's it's just kind of crazy. I'm I'm super ex- excited to always have anonymity. I don't really ever want to be famous. I don't even like when people stop and chat me now. The thing not that... down with the stop and chat. <laughs> but the you, that... you put your, put all your shit on Facebook. 
because like you have, but it's because imp- it's important to put your stuff out. Yeah. Okay. It's important. To but share. that's your social, your social media persona, right? Like no one, he, someone can chat with Greg. Like I do it sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, what's up? He doesn't want to talk to me. Like we are not talking mm-hmm. and he doesn't have to engage with me because he has that wall of his computer. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's the same as like when you see someone in the real world and they stop you and they really yeah, want right, to talk right. to you, you yeah. know? I mean, here's a distinction that I made a long time ago. I used to be like an actress and I thought that's what I wanted to do with my life. And I was really interested in it. Um, and there were people who I knew who wanted to like be famous. It dropped out of my life. And the distinction that I made is that you should want to be recognized for doing something really well that you love doing. And if someone else really loves that thing that you're doing, then that's great. But wanting to be recognized for, you know, your appearance or, you know, just for no reason. It, to be glorified is not a good thing. It takes the soul out of the art, you know? If the yeah. art is what you want to be known for, but you want to be known just in general, it's like what? You're missing things. You're missing something. You're missing some kind of substance. Um, I don't know. I think most of the people that become big and I wouldn't say rich and famous in music because it's really rare. I don't think Mac DeMarco's rich and famous but I but think he is beautiful <laughs> but i think he's happy with what he's done you know and i think that's huh. what you really want to be at the end of the day is happy mm-hmm. with what you've put out right mm-hmm. like what you've given to the world in terms of art and how it reflects on you when people do come up to you and after a show or while you're walking down the street with your girlfriend getting a taco hard man it is tough i mean this is this is one of the hardest issues that i think is is facing our culture today is like how do we how do we pick up these pieces and put them back together in a way that isn't just going to recreate the same shit over over again you know mm-hmm. we've come out of a time where like so many people lost their livelihoods lost their savings lost everything that they built their life on in you know in multiple ways i'm not just talking about like financially but we've seen you know systems crumble where mm-hmm. you know if you you know if you want if your dream was to have a record store mm-hmm. you know 20 years ago Jesus, right? that was I mean, my dream at one point guys. yeah i mean <laughs> it's never happening now but you're fucked you know yeah i, I still have but, yeah i know yeah i know you're totally right my best friend and i growing up wanted to start a record store called turtle hill records named after turtle hill in the inner sunset not in San Francisco, obviously. I but, think. But you don't, my bad. Do you guys know the guys over at RS nine four one zero nine? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. They're in and uh, Austin Freight or no Austin mm-hmm. Caesar. Um, I think it's really you know it's it's hard to own a record store now. You have to be when it comes to social media, you have to be on it. You have to like build. It's just like being a band, quite frankly. You have to build an audience of local followers that will always flock, and you have to build out-of-town followers that when they come to town, they'll come see you. Um, I think the best record store on the West Coast is Mount Analog, and I've even heard of them not having uh, the revenues that they thought that they would have, and they're, by, in my opinion, by far the best record label or, be, or record store. I've never been there. Where is that? Yeah, I mean, neither. It's, um, it's Highland Park. In LA, I'll have to go there. It's next super. Time. It's it's pro. It's incredible. Is but it big? Small? Is it small and curated. No. It, oh, it's big. Or? It's it's about the size of, you know, to that pole in here. Curated. Mm-hmm. That's big for everyone watching the video. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's. But I mean, 
the people that work there, Masa and Zane, are incredible tastemakers, and they have great records from all kinds of sounds. And you know, it's really a, a head's place. Someone that you're, someone that's really interested in looking for something um, and finding new things. Um, from you know, some for the people that are sitting in this table, it's like our dream record store. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, I, and I think that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to L.A. and then New York soon, and, like, I'm excited to hear about that. Like, when I go places, I make a special effort. So I'm going to go there now when I go to L.A. because I'm going to the Deserted at the Palms, um, like, one-day festival in Joshua Tree. And then I can't wait to go to Rough Trade in New York. I mean, they're like, yeah, I cannot wait. Rough Trade is crazy. I've been (laughs) so I'm so excited about it. I've read the Rough Trade, um, like, autobiography i'm a big fan of rough trade you know there was like a time when um the joy division record was coming in and it was raining outside and there was like a chance that that record would have never got heard by like london which would have changed the face of music i mean i have a bunch of like smith seven inches and are rough trade records and i i know that it's not the same going in new york but i really can't wait you get a taste of it yeah it's gonna make me very happy so do you guys think that like the the setup that you guys are are operating under today where you guys are sort of curators and uh tastemakers if you will is this is this the new record label i mean because i i I struggle to think like you know is at what point does a record label become pointless you know Mm -hmm. if anyone can release their music a lot of people now they create a record label just like as a because that's what you do you know your shit has to come out on a label mm-hmm. even if that label is just like the name and that's it you know mm-hmm. so at what point are we going to get rid of that and and sort of take on this new model um record labels are teetering on pointless but in a weird way um at the same time there's people like help yourself records in Seattle Shout that out are to them yeah they're great really taking the best of Seattle wimps do your chastity belt and putting out great records. Um, if anyone I, listens to this in Seattle, they're all doing a house show together this weekend, which is going to be incredible. I think that's what's really important. I think that's what record labels are now. Um, record labels used to be these big teams of people and there was an A&R and he found all the people that they were going to sign and sign them and really developed. And now I think those A&Rs or people that would have been A&Rs are the label heads. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like the people that care so much and do all the research are the people that make the labels and put stuff out. And that's crazy important because those are the those have always been the ones that care the most. Those have always been the ones with the most it, uh, vested interest. And um, those have always been the tastemakers because they were the ones that found it. So, yeah, I think, you know, we we've talked about creating a label, mm-hmm, um, yeah. all of us. And mm-hmm. I don't know if we're going to do it, but I think the people that do create labels are people like us, people that become tastemakers in their city and put events together and really find a way to rally the city behind them because at the same time, throwing shows at the capacity that we've thrown them isn't necessarily something that is vi- not viable, but it's right. it's not sustainable. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, too, to your point, like, yeah, we've all talked about having a label. We've all talked about several different projects and I think that what we've realized in our work over the last year or so is that like it is so important to identify what will be successful because even though we're talking about all the things that have gone away in the music industry, there's still 
isn't a lot of space to necessarily succeed mm-hmm. at these smaller shows. So thinking about what will actually bring people out and how to get them engaged is important. Um, and we want to be very, uh, we want to be, we want to have an eye towards doing things that will engage our community. Well, mm-hmm. and, and it's crazy. It's like, you know, I say bands are a business. Now mm-hmm. we're a business. So right. like we have to be careful so we're not overextending ourselves. Mm-hmm. Oversaturating and, what's going on. Because, you know, like this show that I was trying to promote yesterday, people asked me today when it was. And it was like, okay, so obviously there's something going on in people's heads. Right. Where we've had so much stuff going on that they haven't been able to identify right. when we were doing that, something. Yeah, that happened to me this weekend. Someone, I was talking to someone and I was like, yeah, we're throwing a show on Monday. And they're like, I haven't seen anything about that. And yeah. I thought about it and I was like, well, I've posted on Facebook about it like five times. Greg's done it like ten. Katie's yeah. done it a handful. We've all done it on Twitter. Like, what else are we supposed to do? That's I, just that's just the way shit is, though. Exactly. I think, like, here we have like so many shows and we promote them like a motherfucker mm-hmm. in, any, in so many different ways. And nobody finds out about them until they're sold out. Every motherfucker is Every like, time. Oh, the show's sold out. I yeah. 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 I'm a big fan. I had so, no idea. So, I said that to you today. <laughs> so does that mean that we have to, so does that mean that we should scrap the small show idea and do record fairs or events like a record fair? Not all the time, but consistently enough where they're a staple. Or does that mean we only do record fairs once a year or, one, or twice a year? but we sacrifice all the bands that we want to book and support. I don't think so. I think that it's we keep doing what we're doing, but we try to be more mindful that like, okay, we're going to have, you know, I think that another thing that's really hard in this area is like there's so much going on all the time that these smaller shows oftentimes get overshadowed by other things happening, right? right. So like last night we threw a show and at the same time the Converse rubber tracks thing came up we didn't know it was happening. Right, yeah. And we booked that show two months ago and they booked, and, well, and they, they announced the show two weeks ago. Yeah, right, but they may have been they may have booked it, it out two months exactly, but, but, but we just didn't know, but, so we couldn't make an informed decision. But it does, it, but, you know, it's like we never had a chance in that right, situation. Right. It was like they already knew what was going on yeah. and they weren't like going to send us an email being yeah. like, hey, yeah. we booked a show that day. You can't yeah. be it's free. Time. So it's like yeah. a bigger issue in the city is that like every time I go to a show that I'd consider like cool or a band that I really like, I see the same few hundred people in there. Like I walk yeah. through the room and I'm like, I've seen that person a bunch exactly. of times. I've seen that person a bunch of times. And this is a pretty big city. I mean, we're not New York. But I, San Francisco is like a small city, man. <laughs> it mean, is a small city. Well, but I do I think mean, small we have listeners in small towns of uh, under a thousand. I, I agree, but <laughs> well, coming from LA, like, the shit's a small city. Right. If, you know? if some other like other people in the city were going to shows other than the same five hundred. Well, but I think that it it speaks to the point that I that I was talking about before, where I used to go to shows when I moved back here and I didn't know anyone and I felt really alone. And now I'm in the community, so yeah, now I see you at a show, right? And I'm excited to come say hi to you or Katie or Greg. And, you know, everyone else that I know there, but we have this community and I do think that we're doing a better job at being more accepting. I'm really happy that I've become a part of it, but like I've started going up to people that I see a lot at shows. This may sound very dorky, but I say to them, like, I've seen you at every show. Like, Hey, I'm Marisa. It's really nice to meet you. And I've made like two friends that way. And I've had like seven people now avoid me at shows as a result of that. <laughs> but I think that like, you know, yeah, but like being, <laughs> but like being welcoming is like, yeah, we do see the same people all the time, but those are the people that we want to get more involved, especially mm-hmm. if we don't know them. And they are the people that could help spread the word about our shows, for example, or any other show that our friends are involved with. Yeah. I mean, 
So Greg once said something to me that was, the more friends you have, the more successful you will be. And the same thing goes for the scene. We're all members of this special, exclusive little club of people who all go out and enjoy music together. But there are so many other people who do that who feel angry or, you know, whatever because they can't seem to break in and get involved in something that they just want to support. So engaging in people and asking for help with things is so important. Don't think that, you know, you can take the burden of doing something on your own. So many people want to help. There's something there's something about San Francisco that to me is very interesting. Um, Marisa, I know you're a San Francisco native, mm-hmm. but that's pretty uh, pretty rare. Third generation actually, right here. Uh, now it didn't used to be. Three years ago, it didn't used to be. Mm, it's been. No, it's, dude, I it's mean, been everyone like that. says that to me. Everybody. I mean, that's like a that's a common trope of like yeah. me meeting people in San Francisco. Like, oh, it's so weird that you're from here. It's, it's and then a I'm like, and then I'm like, coming out with mm-hmm. all my friends that it's, are also from here. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a very a large population of San Francisco is from somewhere else. And well, a lot and, of people and a, come here. And a lot of people that were here have been pushed out. I mean, that's you another just, aspect yeah. of it for sure. But um, the fact that people come here to try and find themselves and they come here because they're drawn by this idea of what San Francisco represents and, you know, they, they think that they could be accepted there or they're the, you know, the only kid in their school that liked a certain kind of music or something like that mm-hmm. and they can find people like them here but it's you know on on the flip side you know you're the loner coming here and mm-hmm. you gotta like you know if you're not used to being social you're not used to like having other people like you where you can actually like walk up and talk to somebody and one of the weirdest things about uh moving back to oakland for me was that people talk to you like which the few years that I lived in San Francisco, nobody fucking mm-hmm. talks to you. Right. Like, you don't talk to your neighbor. You don't even know who the fuck you live next to for 15 years. Like, right. it's a very weird vibe because I, I think some, some of it has to do with, like, this weird, like, mixture of sort of people that have been outcasts and mm-hmm. a little bit antisocial trying to figure out how to, like, exist in this world where mm-hmm. other people are like them in a way. But... It's that's one of the things that we have to be conscious of as as people living in the Bay Area that, you know, we it's up to us to define to the new people that come in here. You know, this is how it's done. This is how you come and you build a community here Mm -hmm. and you got to take part. And like we were saying, you know, San Francisco, the scene is only so small. You're only going to see the same people all the time. But at the same time, that means that we all have a responsibility to look out for each other, whether they talk to you again or they don't look at you or they are scared to talk to you again because of, you know, they're not used to people coming up to them. Um, there's only 85, 850,000 people that live here. There's yeah, seven less mil- than a million. Yeah, yeah. there's, uh, yeah. but there's 7.5 million people here every day that commute to go to work and such. Um, you it's have so many stats. facts. Like, where, yeah. what is going on with you during I, the day? I read, bro. Shit's cool, Greg. to smart, Greg. Whoa. <laughs> I read. Cool, Greg. Better slay this trivia. Um, I know. But I or mean, don't, because I want to win. But it, but it's really important to it's really important to reach out. It's really important to be a member of your community and to not get too big headed, no matter what your situation is, no matter who you are. I've had great conversations with people who are in huge bands here, and you know, great conversation with people who are you know relatively nobodies. Um, I, it's really important to just share 
Um, I think we all can learn a little bit about each other just from sharing a little bit and you um, having the knowledge that I have or that Marisa has or that Mike has or what's your name? Sorry. Chris. Or that Chris has. Um, or Katie, who's now or, gone. Or our, our phantom, our phantom chair. Or young Catherine. I mean, um, it's an opportunity and people really have to accept us <laughs> as an opportunity. Um, you can't be scared your whole life. Yeah. I understand that. And, and you know, I'm one of the most people that's very upset about, you know, people coming here last two years and acting like they own the situation. But I think you're very right that we have, uh, obligation to let them know that like, oh, you can't just come into here and be an asshole. Like, Go yeah. to bars and spend all the money you want and do whatever you can and you know buy the rent you want. Like, I'm Are we mad. changing this into a tech conversation right now? Is that where we're? Is we're, that where we're? we're, we're sorry, we're, we're, so, we're sliding. Marisa works at a tech <laughs> company. Oh, dude, so I, but like I would say, but I'm a fan of tech people. I'm a. Yeah. I like well, tech people. Like they're all cool. I'm, but like, but just, I think it's very important to. We're all very clicky. Mm-hmm. I think in the San Francisco city, and I think it's very important to accept others' clicks. And um, go do some stuff you're not very comfortable doing in the beginning because you never know how much you like it. Well, but I do want to say, like, I, I, I think that this this tech versus San Francisco conversation definitely mm-hmm. has a place in this conversation. Right, yeah. Um, for me personally, I think that, like, one of the reasons I was working in nonprofits and I moved into the tech industry mostly, to be perfectly honest, because I wanted to have more money to go to shows, to but, throw shows, to be right. involved with music. So I would love to have more money just to have right. more money. Well, and I don't. I and, the, and, the reali- and the reality is I'm not a developer, so I'm never going to have that money to right. do those things. Like, it's not turning out that well for me. I'm still super broke, but uh, working on it. Um, but I think that there's a difference between, like, coming into the city and having a lot of wealth because you're involved in tech and then putting it back into the scene, which a lot of tech companies are doing. Like a lot of tech companies are trying to support the scene uh, with, uh, with their efforts in terms of throwing shows for the community, having open spaces, having communal show spaces versus being ignorant with the technology that you have and then annoying people in the space that you go into for example google glass and molotovs like that is my space and i work in tech and i can go in there whenever i want and turn on the music i want and talk about the music i want but i'm not obnoxious so but but i think that's the larger overall step is we're waiting for more tech companies to invest in san francisco and i don't think it's their fault because i think they're so new and they've just found money you know a lot of people are just getting invested in and yeah, you know, and money's a crazy thing, you know, especially when you just get it or when you yeah. have a lot of it and you don't know what to do with it, especially when you're working in a company. But I think, um, but I think we're also getting very close to a time where tech companies are investing more in not just the music scene but the art scene. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the overall art scene will benefit from the tech companies in the long run. What do you think? There's a fine line there, though, because I mean. At the end of the day, what we're talking about with that is that essentially uh, art will become corporate funded, mm-hmm. you know, and there are definitely risks and setbacks yeah. involved in that. And like, you know, how do we how do we stop that from becoming the new exploitative, you know, record label machine, you know, where they're pushing all these like deals that aren't really great for the artists and they're getting most of the benefit from it. Oh, well, I think the problem right now is they're pushing deals that are too great for the artists. Yeah. And, um, those deals that are too great for one artist can easily benefit 15 different artists. 
Um, and I think that's the step we want to move into. We don't want tech money blindly investing in art. We want them to be um, guided by some curatorial yeah. force. N more nurturing yeah, than like... More yeah, yeah, exactly. A more nurturing for someone like professional fans, but um, yeah. Or did you, you know, say professional fan? Or <laughs> or noise pop, or um, you know, even APE or the, the bigger or the bigger promotion companies. But I think you know that's that's the big step. It's like how when will they stop funding one act for too much money and give an appropriate size acts a you know a good a good amount of money. Um, San Jose, Silicon Valley just opened up a new contemporary art space and they had like 300 art installations with over a hundred musicians. Wow. We need to start having conversations about this, like not on the podcast, <laughs> just like where you download all of the information <laughs> yeah. you have to me. And that's something that's really exciting. Having, you know, a hundred different musicians at an art space doing, you know, multimedia art. Mm -hmm. Um, that's, you know, that's the direction that everyone can kind of see the scene going, especially with all the technical influence. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think, you know, if we can figure out how to kind of refine that industry and just make sure there's a voice speaking for the local artists and not so local artists, but good artists, good regional artists, cause it's hard to say local cause a lot of acts are moving. So I think we now have to say regional, yeah. but, right. um, if we can help the regional artists kind of connect with these companies that would really enjoy their music instead of flying someone out from the East Coast for $10,000. <laughs> it's already starting to happen. Yeah. A bit. We yeah. had yeah. Google come to us for a private event and say, who, who should we yeah. have to play this? Exactly. And, I, mean, I don't yeah. know if you guys mentioned the company that I book for, GitHub, GitHub. but okay, I'm yeah. basically working on, a, in addition to working at different for, um as like the talent buyer or curator of GitHub's musical events. So they decided that they wanted to get more involved in the art scene and provide more entertainment for their employees, kind of do something fun. And so they brought on Patrick, who owns Different Fur, to do sound design. And I was in a convenient position to insert myself <laughs> to start um, like basically curating their shows. So that gives me the ability to kind of do what we were talking about by, you know, not booking artists that are just going to make them look like fucking cool rock stars, but actually booking specifically regional artists that are, you know, at the level where people might already kind of know where they are, but still, you know, need yeah. that attention and, and to go to the next step. And benefit from some Facebook. Yeah, exactly. And it's a great, it's a great intersection, too, for music and tech and the people that are not involved in either of those two sectors, like... Katie's doing an event next week and like I've been telling people that I'm friends with about it who I like to work with in a collaborative space because then they can see that like technology is doing some great stuff for this city and music is really thriving in this city and it can all come together in a really positive way. Yeah, I mean there's a lot of different um, vendettas that people have against the tech community mm -hmm. and I think that it goes back to the idea of responsibility and the fact that if you don't like something you need to identify why, and if you can't identify why, then maybe you should get involved and figure it out and take some responsibility and try and change things because complaining um, never really helped anybody. You really have to, yeah. you know, take responsibility and for from, what you want to see in this world. And from a PR standpoint, these tech companies that we all hate for no reason, I'll say it. I don't um, hate them. Spending money <laughs> on art for <laughs> the local people 
that's the best PR move they can make. Mm -hmm. For sure. That's true. And let's think about something too. It's not just people working in tech. A lot of my friends from home and a lot of people who are just normal everyday people working normal everyday jobs don't know anything about music and art and they're so excited what? to go see some huge artist perform at Oracle Arena and we can't point fingers at the tech community for being a member of that. Because let's be honest, most people don't know anything about music, unfortunately. It's, it's a real situation. Most people don't know anything about art besides what's on the radio or what's on, you know, what they're, what's big and, or who the fuck Dan Kroll is. I don't know who Dan Kroll is. <laughs> but, um, former rugby player. <laughs> but there's got to, you know, there's, you, you know, professional fans, we try to showcase small artists, but so there's got to be, for, in my opinion, there's got to be some kind of way to showcase great acts that are on their way up. Without, I don't know, without sacrificing what people want. You know, like there's right. a way to do both of those things. Maybe I haven't figured it out yet. I mean, I think the important thing to, in terms of the tech debate, the important thing for me at least is that people understand that like you can't blame these quote unquote tech people because I mean, let's, let's be real. Like, no offense meant to them, but they're fresh off the turnip truck. Mm -hmm. They don't know what the fuck's going on. Like, in a lot of ways, they're being exploited. No, they're I mean, coming and working for a company that sure is giving them a lot of money and giving them a lot of cool perks. But all these perks are designed to keep you at your desk, keep exactly. you in the office. Actually, they want you to live there. I have a friend who went into Twitter today. I was talking to her. She doesn't work there. I was talking to her afterward, and she was like, it was so great. All these things were happening to me. I saw so much. And then I had this moment where I realized I never wanted to leave, and I don't even work there. And yeah. how terrifying is it that like I could eat all the food I want, watch all the TV I want, sleep wherever I want, work out wherever I want, and never have to leave. Yeah. And it's kind of scary. Depending on how much work I have, though, I'd be pretty down for that situation. Oh, I would, <laughs> yeah. I would too, but I just think that like, but we couldn't live our lives the way that we live them if we never left our office, right? right. Like if, if they're going to bring in music for me, that's great, but they are telling me what to do and like how to live my life. And mm -hmm. right. that's hard. At the same time, I work a full time job and can still find a way to support the pro fans way in whatever I feel. So there's a there's definitely a way. If you're informed and you know what's going on and you have a preference about how things should be done, you can spend your excess time. Yeah. Right. The, oh, the reality with those places is they don't want you to have right. excess time. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but the reality with us is we all have excess time because we all work full-time jobs that aren't what we're here together representing. Mm -hmm. And we find a way to res represent exactly what we want while having a full-time job, while having, whilst getting money from other places and trying as hard as we can not to put our money in this, we still find a way to make a pretty awesome prod mm -hmm. product, in my opinion. Um, even though it's, you know, under not well-known and kind of small and um, we only have so many big events, um, it's still really exciting to do what we're doing and giving back in the way that we're giving back because, you know, there's a, a great electronic music scene here um in terms of smaller promoters but from the smaller promoters and band standpoint there's nothing really going on like people are either trying to play makeout room knockout amnesia or hit us up yeah. there's n the only other rooms are brick and mortar 
Slims, um, and the bigger concert venues. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not realistic for a small yeah, unknown, mezzanine stuff. Mezzanine, like and it's not realistic for a small unknown band yeah. without someone on the other side of the desk, like working for them. Right. Um, so it's, it's really difficult to want to spend less time doing what we're doing at the same time, knowing that if we're not going to do it, we're going to, the other, the acts that we like. And the acts that even if we don't like that, but if no one's fighting for them, are going to be very unrepresented. And that's a scary thought to me, knowing that there's bands out there that can't get a show in the city that they live in. And that's why they move. Like, a lot of my favorite acts have had to move just because they make good music and can't book a show here. And it scares the hell out of me because I can't book their shows. I can't book all their shows. Just It's not possible. But, um... There's got to be something. There's got to be a way to bridge this gap from unknown to being able to just play for your friends and proving to other venues that you can have a local draw. It's hard out there for a pimp. It's really really hard. (laughs) Way to wrap that one up in a nice little bow there. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That's why they pay me the big bucks. It's really hard for (laughs) local music. It's really hard for music in general. And that's, you know, it's really, it's really scary. You know, I keep saying that last night was the last show I want to throw for a couple months. But in my mind, it's a really scary idea because it's like, if I don't bring these acts here, Right. No one. They have nowhere else to go. And I'm, Katie and I were talking today. We have some things in the works. We'll fill you in. I'm glad. Yeah. We'll fill I'm you glad in. They have yeah. Some, but, we're yeah. on a couple things. But, yeah, we got a few things. But it scares me that if if we're not focused on it, no one else will be. Right. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem like that's that doesn't seem like the San Francisco way. Well, I mean, do you think things like um, that there are other sort of cultural interests that are taking people away from going out? and going to shows like the the big thing and that i've noticed because i've been in the bay Bay area since 1999 and so i've seen i saw the tail end of the original tech boom Mm -hmm. and then the aftermath of that and then i saw the the new tech boom Mm -hmm. uh start to emerge and you know where it is now but people right now are like way more interested in food and cocktails right, yeah. and like going and, be, oh, and yeah, doing these like things and like edition and yeah and no you're totally right people are way more interested in, in a 13 dollar cocktail right than checking out a than show than seeing a band i mean trying to get drunk i actually don't <laughs> understand why that is i enjoy 13 dollar cocktails just as much as the next person i don't buy them but if, <laughs> if i could i would be you. very yeah exactly um i like good food i don't spend a lot of money on good food but when i do i enjoy it um I think it there's a lot of different types of personalities in this world. Um, you can go out with your friends to a nice fancy dinner and splurge and go home and be in your comfort zone. Going out to a show is a really big hill for a lot of people. Yeah, I just think it's experiential. I mean, I will not lie, I love sort of this movement towards uh, well-curated food in the right, Bay Area. Yeah. Um, I also think that that has been, like there's been a, a, a vibrant music scene here that may be diminishing slightly right now. Uh, there has always been this push towards food in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So this is just kind of like where we're getting to it with that. Um, but it's the same for me going to a show and for me having a meal that I think is very important. It's about the experience. So I can find a tie in between the two of those. Um, 
I would say another thing that I took away from the I keep talking about this talk that I went to that we all went to the nightlife and new tech talk. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people were talking about we have all of these spaces like you see what happened with Cafe du Nord for example it shut down there's going to be a yeah. restaurant there and you know there's some talk that it will that it will be a venue again and I really hope so because that was one of it. our favorite venues to book. Yeah, well, me right, too. Right, not... uh, do you know? Yeah. They say it's opening up again. I don't know. I, I mean, know. It's I'm not going to fire shots it's again. It's not I've just our one of with the new owners. It wasn't so. just one of our favorite venues to book. It was where Mike worked. Exactly. Yeah, like it know? was, it, yeah. It hit a lot of people at home. But what I would say is that you have places like that that are being converted into restaurants. And one of the things that came out of that talk was figuring out conditional permits to start having shows in right. these spaces. Like, I was talking about when I grew up in the city and I would go to all these house shows, which I'm sure are still happening. I'm not in that scene. Right. But just finding new venues to insert music into because as these venues are shutting their doors, it's making it really hard for bands and promoters and everyone involved to find the appropriate venues for smaller acts and figuring out how we can fill that void and pair those experiential uh, happenings together <laughs> is really important. Well, I guess, you know, I think the biggest part or uh, problem with everything is we always think about money and ticket sales right Mm. but when you're booking small bands that don't have a you know that are good bands but don't have a draw necessarily in your city right um it causes you to do all this kind of math and situations and unfortunately there's not a space like the lab that used to be a great space that you can Mm -hmm. just kind of do something interesting and count on a local support But you could have something like the lazy bear dinners which were like Mm -hmm. this huge buy-in thing and like what if something like that like paired with local artists Mm -hmm. and exposed all those people that have a lot of money to go to this dinner to some new music i mean those are artists regional artists i may or may not be (laughs) working on something like that i wonder if there's a fundamental discrepancy between like people who have certain tastes and certain money. Like, basically what I'm saying is maybe money and taste correlate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. like, what we consider to be good, some dude making 150k a year would, like, not be into. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why they're not supporting it. Maybe Low it's, money, like, less communicating taste. to us. <laughs> <laughs> maybe that music speaks to us and it doesn't speak to them in their existence. But I don't, you know, it's funny because I don't think music... Music doesn't play enough a portion in, their, in the guy who makes 150k's life. Right. Well, as I mean, a, I don't know if that's. I true. don't know if that's true either. But it doesn't. I will promise you that it doesn't pay as much of attention as I do to music. To like, I think a certain kind of music, right? Yes. And well, and I also think that those people are clamoring for people like us to tell them they what do. they should be they liking. Totally like that's the, what yeah. I think is interesting. They're not clamoring. They're sitting on Spotify <laughs> listening to Dan Kroll and people that are like Dan Kroll <laughs> when they have no interest in that kind of music. I would say that that's I've I've had a lot of interactions in in Sorry, Dan He might be able to kick your ass. <laughs> <by the way. laughs> Just saying. No, in the last few months I've had a lot of interactions with people who like are making a lot of money and are involved in these industries that we've kind of been shitting on and like they do want to know like what am I listening to? Like, what can I bring to the table for them? Like, that's where my like personal value is added kind of in that yeah. I know what's going on. And once I tell them about it, they're so excited and they like really want to learn more. And so I do think that like there is that space where they do know that there are other people that know more than them. They want to learn, but they may not. It's, I, I think, know. no, I think the hardest thing in the last four or five years has been bridging that gap. Yeah. Of, people who are so excited about music to people that can spend money on music mm-hmm. but don't know where to find it. Um, yeah. And I think I haven't, you know, I've never seen a music source that's ever really bridged the gap. Like Spotify doesn't do it. RDO doesn't do it. YouTube doesn't do it. SoundCloud doesn't do it. I I hear um, 
different problems with each service every single day. Yeah. And um, I think, you know, that's what we're really missing is, and that's what we're trying, uh, the service, I guess, we all would like to provide to those people is like, how do we give you a chance? Okay, maybe you don't like this artist that I like, but maybe you like this other artist who's different, you know? Like, we like several different artists of mm -hmm, different tastes. Mm -hmm. And we um, all bring something new to the table. Yeah, it helps at least us. this. Helps us grouping. a lot. And it's very, and, and that's the only thing is like, how do we get these options to the right people yeah. who can help us? bridge that gap of like finding a, a space that we don't have to worry about ticket sales like if we could do a free show somewhere and just literally showcase people yeah um i know what i would do if i had a lot of money like who <laughs> i would bring <laughs> yeah i think we all do like if we had access to that we could provide the community with some great stuff but but I, it's yeah. hard but i don't even mean like flying someone out no no like, but but there like are that. people who are on tours that have guarantees that like we yeah. just can't underwrite like right. that's they even they're booking exactly that. like their booking agents have an idea of what they should be making and the the reality of what we can provide them is different and yeah. it's just hard yeah, yeah. it's a, there's a big disparity so something that i've dealt with personally is the difference between booking artists for GitHub where I have, you know, a pretty high ceiling cap on my budget and it's a free show for people who, you know, might not know what's going on and I feel like I'm giving back to the community in multiple different ways. But when I go back to that person's booking agent to book something for professional fans, Katie I'm like, are dealing hey, with this, this right time now. it's different. I don't have $2,500. This right, time right. I have $300. You know, it's... It's rough. Right. Yeah. Do you feel a change in tone from the agents at that point? <laughs> of course. Like, are they, like... <laughs> yeah. They're a little different at that point, right? And it's you just, know what? My other line is ringing. Let me call you back. Exactly. Yeah. Or just, like, a lack of response, and there's an understanding that this is already happening. Like, the worst, I think, for me is when I see that I'm talking to someone, I'm trying to get a date, and they it's not clear yet, but you already see West Coast states coming out, and you're like, okay, yeah. we know that I'm being kind of, like, stonewalled right now to make way for something else. It's hard. Well, I think so that's just um, that's just stories from today. I'm just <laughs> sore about something that's been going on. Yeah, that was me venting for a moment there. Yeah. I want to try and wrap shit up because I know Donnell has to go check out James Vincent Vincent McMorrow. Donnell, you're so American musical. So popular. Donnell. Donnell's my middle name. Is it really? Really? Yeah. Oh. I thought they were just being racist. There's <laughs> <laughs> probably a touch of racism. In too. Yeah. <laughs> but uh black actors i think uh uh we should talk sometime because i have a whole whole thing about black actors <laughs> it's, it's, uh, we'll be back you yeah, bring us back uh i have the name 10 black actors game which we can play another time but uh i think the moral of the story is that stop fucking complaining and be like these motherfuckers go out there <laughs> and just like do what you want to fucking do like you have the power go out there and think about what you can do to to make the world that you want to live in and nobody else is going to do that for you in fact someone is probably going to do something that is counter to what you want to do <laughs> so if you're not out there slaying for it who the fuck is going to yeah you know stop complaining stop whining work harder and spend more time alone i guess i don't know or spend more time with your crew it's just like spend time wisely yeah. just do yeah. I mean, do Be some aware. shit you know like think about 
It's fun, dude. Like, wheat pacing with Gregory and Katie is my favorite activity in the world. I don't know. I think everyone that doesn't work in entertainment is scared of their emails. And you gotta get the fuck over that. Yeah. Like, you gotta go email. Like, you gotta look at your email constantly. You're the you okay, dude. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, don't be scared of yeah. people trying to get email in Email is your bitch. Yeah, dude. You, you gotta, own like, that. Take care of you. You gotta take care of business and... Feel free to reach out because you never know how great things can be. Um, this is this is directly for me aimed at all the publicists out there and media companies. Fucking answer your emails. Yeah, like yeah. we're trying to give you get your artists opportunities. Mm -hmm. And you're fucking Dude, lazy ass. There are some ass bands like that don't answer their it. emails, and you're like, I'm trying oh to book some bands are the worst you. Oh, yeah. Like, right. I'm trying to give you money and exposure. Yeah. Email me back. But I'm even talking to the kids that want to do what we do and book shows and put together events and shit like that. Just like hit somebody up, hit yeah. people up, and you know, start see building a like. network and see what the obstacles you have to yeah. see the obstacle course that's in front of you and go run that shit. Yeah. At least, at the Plans very least, walls. put it out there in the universe, you know? Right. There's a lot of people that talk about, like, you know, the secret and all that kind of <laughs> shit. Like Manifests your yeah. destiny. But, I mean, to, the, to an extent, that's true. Like, if you put shit out there, it's more likely to happen. Of course. Mm -hmm. Closed you know? close mouths don't get fed. Exactly. It's true. So, if you feel like you're unhappy with the way things are right now and you feel like... It sucks to, to be living in this time or whatever. That's your fucking problem. Yeah, like, it's not it somebody else's problem. It's your problem. And don't yeah. go you to know? a fucking panel looking for answers. Right. Like, make your own answers and find your own answers and talk to who you got to talk to. Yeah, no one. Come out to our shows, meet us. No yeah. one ever told us what to do. No. Exactly. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's, that's what I tell people. Nobody fucking told me to do this podcast. Right. <laughs> right. I just did it. Like, yeah. I thought it would be a good idea. I thought it would be, have value, so I did it. Yeah. Like, that's, and that's what changes things, is going out there and just saying, you know, I'm not going to wait for the next guy to do this. And having a community really helps. There's a lot of things that I would never have done on my own, but having one or two friends yeah. there to, like, mm -hmm. encourage me and have me encourage them really, really makes a difference. If you can do it on your own, then that's great. But if you can't, just find someone else who's down. Build a team, yeah. you know? Like, don't be afraid to contribute. Yeah. Contributing is so important. I mean, people contribute with music, but that's that's not the only way to contribute in the music industry. There's contribute by putting someone's song that you really like on your Facebook and tweeting about it, or contribute by trying to find, trying to book a show at the Knockout. Yeah. And make up a logo for yourself. We didn't have a logo for like nine months. But I love our logo now. <laughs> I like it too. But like, yeah. we didn't have anything for such a long time. I don't you know. You never know what's gonna happen. Yeah, I know. You know. It's true. Post somebody's shit on your my on your MySpace on your Facebook Whoa. page. Yeah, make make throwback. No, sorry. not RIP. It's make still there, man. Make a Facebook page. Make it. I don't know. It's just like you get your friends to activate it. <laughs> yeah. Let your friend, you never know what's going to happen. If you you're know? mad because your friends don't know that you love music or love some art and you're a tastemaker, then you need to fucking post it and whatever, however you're social, you need to let people know that that's, this is what I'm about. Like, this is who I am and I have great taste. Like, if you're mad because people don't know you have great taste, then knock the doors down. That's true. Sorry, All right, Greg, Greg doesn't know about this. Because he wasn't here for the, the so part where we talked about the prize, it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> no, he's still in the running. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and Donnell, as long as you aren't looking at my sheet, you can play too. 
<laughs> We're going to do a little bit of trivia here. We got five questions. Cool. Uh, I guess whoever answers the most questions right wins I'm the prize. I'm highly competitive. This is going to be which really we've decided is going to be they can they can go to any Slims or Gam show they want. They can pick one Work. show and get a pair of or tickets. Great American. Whoa. Slims or Great American. I wish we had a buzzer. I know, me Thursday too. To I Slobo. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> I hear there's going to be a pretty great DJ opening. Me too. Show I posted Thursday. about it on Facebook today. Hi, I'm opening that show. <laughs> DJ Cool <laughs> Greg. It's DJ Cool Greg, but no one, I don't know who he well, is, but he's amazing. Drink one more beer. DJ Cool Greg. Did you say DJ Cool Greg? DJ Cool Greg. DJ Cool Greg. Cool Greg. Cool. No, I'm okay. I'm working on it. All right, guys. Turn for Greg tonight. Yeah. No. So who's who's ready? Y'all ready? Ready. All right. Uh, since Greg came late, I didn't get to introduce him properly, but Greg works for um, was it a sh surefire, surefire agency. agency? They book a lot of artists. They book a lot of great artists. A lot of electronic stuff. A lot of stuff that I'm into. Um, are we about to have a surefire question yeah, right can. now? We are about yeah, to. Have there a we go. Yeah. So you, you guys ready? <laughs> I'm ready. All right. Surefire booking artist Cueto released his debut full-length Severant on what independent label? I have no idea. Planet Moo. You got it. Ah. Ah. One for Greg. <laughs> was that a guess? <laughs> Literally, that, it was wow. Planet Moo or Deep Medi. I know where our roster comes from. All wow. right. Oh, One man. for Greg. Y'all better step your games up. <laughs> All right. Sup. Sup. Katie might have an advantage to this one. I'm not going to get any Different first questions. <laughs> Different first studios founder Patrick Gleason credits his work with this influential keyboardist in helping put the studio on the map. Stevie. First person to say it. Oh my. What is it open? 1960 Jazz. Something? Yeah. Who made Jazz. Um, Jazz. Oh, um, Herbie Hancock. Herbie. All right. That's, uh, <laughs> you got that's it. who I was going for. <laughs> All right. So glad you're already taking me to Max Marco. That hit Donnell, really helps. Because it doesn't matter now. <laughs> Did I come out to that? No. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> Just All right. Just here. <laughs> Question number three. This San Diego-based surf-influenced band recorded the first of many live session videos at Different Fur with yours truly blog. Who was it? San Diego-based surf rock? Oh. Surf-influenced. Surf-influenced. Surf who did the first video with yours series truly? with yours truly at Different Fur? Um, what's that? All I can think of is that Troy and Moi video that Reese is in. Wait, what's it's not San helpful. Uh -uh. No, that's not. San no. Diego. Yeah. Yeah. We had him here at Slim's not too long ago. Oh, wait, I know. They what? sold it out. Stuck in my head. I know. They sold it out. They played the flutes. They played, <laughs> they played the played flutes. The flutes. <laughs> that's unhelpful. No, me. it's not Jethro Tull. No. <laughs> All right, we're going to come back to that. Right. Okay. Question number four. ProFans recently hosted a showcase at the Nightlight in Oakland featuring Stockton Surf Club. They're set to open for what Brooklyn-based band at GAM in May? Dive. Oh, two for Greg. <laughs> <laughs> oh. We knew right. that, too. I'm RCP on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> we got two and one here. <laughs> uh. Question number five. Speaking of GAM, 
That stands for Great American Music Hall, if you're not a local to San Francisco. Get with it. The venue originally opened in 1907 as a bordello slash restaurant operating under what name? Oh, I wish I'd I, read Alyssa's I just article read it. now. I just read it. Really? Yeah. Oh, you guys are failing. I, I know. Read it. Yeah, I skimmed it. Still don't know. Oh, no. <laughs> I'll give you a hint. Yes. It means white. Blanco. There you go. Yeah, so Greg just won. Like, let's just call it. We're going to go back to the one question, okay. just to, even though Greg band? took it. Oh, this is going to kill me. San Diego-based surf-influenced band recorded the first of many live session videos. I feel like most for... San Diego bands at this I'm point knowing. claim Los Angeles, so it's just challenging. What's the Santa Barbara band? Surf. Oops. Think surf when you're thinking about their name. What Waves? Do... There you go. Oh, Waves. Got one. That, wow. That's a good one. All right. I didn't realize so that they still claim San Diego. At least you didn't lose. Know, you don't want to know what happens when you lose. That's Donnell's true. off the hook. Donnell. Yeah, yeah what about You that? have to come back here. Wait, what what great that? American show do I want to go to? Right. Besides, besides Shlomo on Thursday. <laughs> back to Marco <laughs> night one. We'll let you decide. I'll give you tickets night two. It's either Mac to Marco or Dive. I'm really excited to hear that new dive set, actually. I wonder what... I, does anyone Don't else... forget about First Aid Kit, Cloud Nothing. First Aid Kit, Cloud Nothing. Oh, yeah. First Aid Kit's an incredible band, by the way. Love I saw them that. at Coachella in 2012, and they have it... They've only come back, like, once a year. They're from, like, Sweden, right? Less yeah. than once a year, I think. Sweden it's, like, pretty rare. The last time was killer. at the Fillmore. Well, they were at... Over a year uh, ago. We had them at uh, oh. the Hardly Strictly Bluegrass Festival. Totally. Oh, yeah. Uh, but were, I can never see anything at that. I'm Yeah, they far played away. on Friday. They're, they were one of yeah. Connor Oberst's friends. If you to go to festivals, please check out your free festivals like Hardly Strictly Bluegrass. No, I know, but it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's really crowded in the park now. Like, I remember oh, yeah. local San Franciscan back in the day. You would oh, go yeah. and no one would be there. And now you go and it's like, I, it's too much for me. Yeah. Wait, I have a question it's for big. you guys real yeah. quick. What do you think is missing from the equation of people finding out about shows? Like, is the Bay Bridge mm. enough or is SF Weekly enough? Is there no, something else? Enough. There is something missing. I was going to ask you. Yeah, yeah no, question, I, I, totally, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't know what's missing. I thought we were what's missing in the beginning, but as time has gone on and people have like paid attention when they want to and lose attention when they want to, I don't know if it's that. There has to be something bigger. There has to be like pitchfork on a local scale yeah. I mean, not enough people this would be my plug yeah. my time to plug the list if you search the list oh my God, san yeah. francisco or bay area like when i was i was talking about when i didn't know what i was doing like when i didn't know what i was doing when i didn't have anyone in the scene every week i would comb that list and yeah. i would identify all the shows i wanted to go to and just push myself to go to them that's a great way we are not actually on there all the time and sometimes i email in to ask yeah. to have our shows added but Definitely check that. It's got a weird. It's got a weird URL. It's like it does. Yeah, it's weird. But, yeah. but if you type in the yeah. list San Francisco, like you'll get it, and it's but it's there, a great resource. But there is something missing. Like even like yeah. the Bay Bridge. I love the Bay Bridge, and the Bay Bridge are great people. Katie writes for the Bay Bridge. I do. Right? And yeah. all my friends are Bay Bridge people. Mm -hmm. They're like good homies. But it's just not enough. Like they don't yeah. command enough attention. There's no, there's no substitute that's come along that mm -hmm. takes the place of people opening up the weekly every week. You know, mm -hmm. it used to be that if you wanted to find out what was going on, you would go to the corner, you'd grab SF Weekly or The Guardian or East Bay Express, and you'd look in the back and you'd see everything that's from going 1999. on. Even, you know, it's I'm, like I would say even the weekly doesn't have enough influence yeah it's no no it's no i mean it, it weekly now. isn't as highly regarded. i love no. and i love yeah. ian port he's yeah. the dopest 
journalists we have locally. All shook down. He was but on our he, podcast last week. But nice. he doesn't write about individual shows. He writes about right. this journal. He's an editorial I would, writer. Yeah, exactly. I would do a. I would give a plug right now to Byer Duncan. He's the communications director at Blue Bottle, but he also has a weekly column. Uh, in SF Weekly, and he's trying to highlight artists that are coming to the Bay that are new and right. up and coming and, and have and fresh music. We, and I think that's what's really important. Like, I'm not gonna call him Darnell. Um, Darnell. Darnell. Like, Darnell. Darnell. But like Mike said, there is we're missing a in everything. Everyone go to this spot to check out these. Right seven artists right. that aren't necessarily playing on seven different days of the week that are playing the seven days of, you know, right. the same day or whatever. But we're definitely missing a place that people can go to be influenced. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Influenced into changing their minds. We were talking a little bit about a location that would span a bunch of different needs that we have mm -hmm. in terms of doing local shows, local classes, you know, programs for people in need, um, um, places for people, you know, high school kids to go and learn about things that they can't learn about. So what, mm -hmm. what Katie's talking about, I don't know if we've talked about this already, but, um, like the church on York in LA, which has become mm -hmm. a, they do AA meetings. They do dance classes for kids featuring members from, um, what's that band that Adam Levine's in? Maroon 5. Yeah. Um, they do whatever. <laughs> they do um, music classes and they throw extremely artsy shows and risky shows. So there has so since that's just in LA, there has to be a way that we can bring art here and have this kind of interesting dynamic <coughs> um, nonprofit space that right. serves several different people and different kinds of people, adults to kids. And can bring shows out and doesn't have to worry about making money. Um, I think that's if we're missing anything in, in San Francisco, especially in the music scene, that's the one thing. Yeah. yeah. We need the that one filthy rich motherfucker that well, just yeah. you know, as a former yeah. fundraiser, <laughs> I've had some conversations Either about this. Rich, and there's, or there's we have to get grants or we have yeah. to find a way for the government. And there's a lot of government money that's going to places that don't need it that right. we could use for it. Um, or we have to find a way to get, you know, if the t tax that like the local, um, tech companies have right. off their rent mm -hmm. would even be great for this, you know, there's, mm -hmm. but, and obviously that involves getting involved in local government and doing all these other things, but we have to find a way to create an all ages event space to do multiple things, including yeah. serving the music industry, including doing the other side, like serving AA meetings. Yeah. That can, mm -hmm. that can not have to sustain itself on, you know, ticket sale, ticket sales right. or and food sales. and food and drink sales, you know, because we, you know, as a venue, it's something that we have to face constantly mm -hmm. is that, you know, at the end of the day, we have a staff to pay, you know, we got to be able to make a certain amount of money so we can employ people. And, not, yeah. not and mortgage to pay. Well, yeah. We got to pay our rent. We got to, you know, there's, there's a lot of factors involved mm -hmm. and it doesn't make, a, you know, certain types of shows very possible or you appealing know? or viable at all. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's, that's something that I hope will change. You know, nobody wants, well, I don't know about nobody, but I certainly don't want to live in a San Francisco where it's mm -hmm. just like the rest of the world. You know, I don't, San Francisco has been unique in terms of, uh, I used to work for Live Nation and, the Live Nation mindset is they want to be able to program the entire country from a single desk totally. mm -hmm. and just say, okay, I got this artist. I'm going to send them around to our entire circuit mm -hmm. and that's it. 
And San Francisco has never fit into that. You know, they they sort of throw away San Francisco in a lot of respects like that because you you come here and, you know, big time artists, like artists who everybody knows, they can't sell shit here. Mm-hmm. You know, like anywhere in the country, Snoop Dogg is going to sell out. <laughs> in San Francisco, he might not sell out. Yeah, you know? Did wasn't he good enough. sell out at the Regency? He did not uh, sell out. He did not he sell out? He, no, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's just... Advanced. Have, it's changing honest. a little. It's changing a little bit. You know, it's getting. Mm-hmm. I, San Francisco's getting a little more mainstream than historically it has been. Mm-hmm. But in the past, I mean, I worked for the Fillmore for many years, and we canceled Ice Cube shows. We canceled um, some of the big, uh, like, MTV rock bands. Mm-hmm. You know, that like were huge. That just doesn't fucking sell right, here. But you it's have not... someone like Toon Yards, who's a local artist, and it exactly. sells out almost immediately. Uh, right. That show was free, though. No, free. they're playing the Fillmore. Two nights. She's playing the Fillmore. Night. Two so nights. The night is they're right. playing with uh, Sylvanesso on the first night and a band called The Session on the second night. Session Both yeah. amazing. Both amazing. I didn't realize Sylvanesso was on that. I've got to get into that show. The Session is really good, too. Oakland yeah. Yeah, the so. session. If you want to sponsor our podcast, we've talked about your asses like 15 times already. So. Yeah. Hook somebody well, up. All I right. Mean, well, that's great to see because <laughs> Toon Yards are local. I'm just saying, like that—that that is where you you skew the other way at some place like the Fillmore. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna let Donnell get to his show. Thanks for thanks having for us, ha- guys. Thanks for coming on, guys. This was great. Us. It was. It thanks was for the free beer. Guys. A really yeah. interesting conversation, and uh, it's an ongoing debate about the future of you know music and live music and. You know, art well, in general. Follow what we're doing on Facebook and Twitter. Come check out our shows and all of our events. We're going to do our best to make sure that our voice does not die. Yeah, right. We would love to have you there. And if you want to hit us up personally, feel free. Yeah. So check them out on Facebook, professional fans. Um, you guys each have individual Twitter yeah, handles. Do you have like have, a. We have a profan Twitter, profans pro underscore. Yeah. I'm profan Marisa on Twitter. We're not hard to find them. Profane Gregory. Gregory. Profane Katie. Katie. We're very easy to find. We're not hard to find. So if anyone wants to talk to us or, you know, give us ideas or just talk about things that they feel are wrong, we're, we have open ears. Mm-hmm. And uh, thank you guys for coming by. Uh, everybody listening out there, I know listeners didn't get to take part in trivia this week, but we'll have something cool for you guys. Uh, we're going to do Have You Been Listening in the comments section. So we'll do another trivia in the comments of our YouTube to see if you've been listening. We'll ask you questions about the episode. If you can answer them, then you'll get a prize, too. So uh, hit up the Twitter, I mean, the uh, YouTube page for this video and check out the Have You Been Listening trivia. All right, guys. It's been awesome. It's been two hours and 15 minutes. (laughs) Thank you for listening to us. Time to get some dinner. It just flew by. But uh, thanks again for coming down. Um, everybody check them out online, like their Facebook page, follow everything they do, and go out and support some local music. Uh, check out slimspresents.com, our blog. We feature a lot of local artists. We do profile videos. We have them on podcasts. We interview them. You know, it's, it's all about trying to expose people to our local scene and, and tell people what we have going on in the Bay Area because we have a lot of talented artists out here. A lot of people doing really interesting and unconventional things that need attention. And it's, I feel like it's our responsibility to put people onto that because nobody else is. So, all right, guys, thanks for tuning in to Between You, Me, and Jose, the Slims Presents podcast. Check us out next Wednesday. We'll have a new guest every Wednesday. 
on the Slinch Presents blog. Profans. All right, good night. Night. Yeah. Uh, when the la la hits your lyrics just fit ya Head so hard that your hat can't fit ya Either I'm with ya or against ya Format venture, back through that maze I stint ya Talking to the rap inventor Nigga with the game type fifth that flame right Spell my name right, B-I-Double-G-I-E Iced out, mics out, me and Steve Leo Getting head for some chick he know See it's all about the cheddar, nobody do it better Going back to Cali, strictly for the weather Women and the weed, sticky green No seeds, bitch please Papa ain't soft, dead up in the hood Ain't no love lost, got me mixed up You drunk them licks up, mad cause I got my dick sucked And my balls lick, forfeit, the game is mine I'ma spell my name one more time, check it It's the N-O-T-O-R-I-O-U-S You just lay down slow Recognize a real dawn when you see one Sippin' on booze in the house of blues I'm going, going back, back to Cali, Cali I'm going, going back, back to Cali, Cali, Cali uh, I'm going, going back, back to Cali, Cali I'm going, going back